In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 331. That's right. We are talking about Hal Jordan. Well, actually, we're talking, we're talking about a few things. We're talking about Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, issue number 50. Uh, we'll be doing a review of uh, the final issue of Robert Venditti's run on this title and the final issue of the title itself, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. And following that, we'll be having an exclusive conversation with the man himself, Robert Venditti. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, react. <laughs> should, should I react? We know what happened the last time. <laughs> or, or we know that the audience might not because they maybe got edited out then too. <laughs> uh, we're, so, exci- uh, we're, ex- we're excited. And optimistic. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, so we'll have Robert Venditti on to talk about this issue, his time on the title, his time with the character and and and, and property of Green Lantern, and talk a bit about his future with uh, you know I'm reading the Hawkman series, so you know I'll ask him at least one question about that because I can't not. <laughs> and then following that, Mark and I will be doing a retrospective on his series. We'll probably get a lot of answers we didn't have before during the actual interview, but we'll actually talk about our personal thoughts on Venditti's run on the title from start to finish. A lot of people say hindsight is 2020, so what will our opinions be? Will various issues or arcs stick out to us more than they did before? Will certain artists stick out to us? We don't know. So, will it, will it make us love Simon Bass for some reason? No. Spoiler <laughs> <Well laughs> alert. No. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, so that's all right. So, without further ado, Mark is going to kick things off for us by recapping the final issue of Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, issue number fifty, written by Robert Venditti. You ready, Chad? I'm ready. Good. So we pick up where we left off, really not that long ago, considering, especially for us, <laughs> Space Sector One. The Central Command Planet of the Dark Stars, and just where we left off, Tomar and Hal Jordan are squaring off one-on-one. I like the little dialogue, by the or the thought, the inner dialogue by Hal. My name is Hal Jordan. I'm the first Green Lantern from Earth. I know what you're thinking. This is the end. And in a matter of speaking, he's correct, right, based on the title. <laughs> so then we cut to a 
double a double splash page it appears based on our version it's harder to see but yes it's 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 basically john and the green lanterns and everybody allied with the green lanterns taking on the the dark stars trying to prevent them from escaping which is where we left off last issue so this is the final part of last charge finale appropriately named robert venditti rafa sandoval jordi tarragona tome more dave sharp Sandoval, Tarragona, and Moray did the cover. Tyler Kirkham and Arif Prianto did the variant. And Andrew Marino and Brian Cunningham remain the editors. Uh, a lot of this issue, let's put, let's just be direct, a lot of this issue is straight-up fights, fighting one-on-one between Tomar and Al, <laughs> which is interesting. But from a description perspective, there's a whole lot of that going on. That, uh, you know, Tomar is in the beginning. It's like, I didn't have to come to this how. I'd hoped you'd grow to understand the Dark Star way, which kind of, in a way, I mean, you think about it, it's kind of like a reverse Emerald Twilight, almost, in a way. <laughs> I mean, obviously, Tomar is not his way of gathering, by gathering rings, he's not going somewhere, but it's kind of like uh, Tomar now sees Hal as an obstacle when Hal saw Tomar as an obstacle before, and they're both trying to, accomp- you know, an, an obstacle to seeing the universe in a different way. Uh, Tomar, you know, Tal says to Tomar, you know, a person sees through evil, they can't help having thoughts like yours, but I choose, or I chose a better path. No, I choose a better path. There's still time for you to do the same. And Tomar's like, you're right, Hal. I am a murderer. And he, and he blasts Hal. It's like, Goldface and Romat Rue are both murderers too, but they'll, they'll never kill again because I had the will to do what was needed. It takes a killer to deal with killers. All the former law officers who joined me in the Dark Stars agree. We're the future of the law. And, of course, Hal Jordan rejects this. Um, Tomar grabs Hal in a chokehold, very similar to the Hal Sinestro chokehold, again, from Emerald Twilight. Like, the only truth is life and death. And Tomar is pretty much choking the life out of Hal. And it's like, your will is going to get you killed, just like all the people across the universe who died needlessly. Whoa. Because the Green Lanterns think criminals deserve a second chance and a third. Your way doesn't get the job done. I've worn the ring. My father wore the ring. Unlike him, I refuse to die wearing it. You will. That, that part was nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, disturbing, but nice. It was well written. Uh, so now we, we, we cut back to space with you know with Guy and company take, taking out the Dark Stars. I, I kind of like... Some of this banter is is really cute. You know, guys like might be time to rethink. You know, kill order Johnny. The Dark Stars are playing a different game. Of course, John rejects that immediately. Arkillo, not surprisingly, goes, "I agree with Guy Gardner." <laughs> <laughs> and not surprisingly, also Zod agrees with them too. It's like, as do I, Arkillo. I'm Kryptonian. I can battle forever. <laughs> Smartass. <laughs> you lanterns have limits. Ah, <laughs> uh, John. John points out then that you know this isn't just us alone, Zod, which is funny because like Kyle's like really because it feels like it. <laughs> and now we kind of get back to what John had reiterated before that basically the whole universe is kind of watching this fight. This you know symbolically this means more than just you know what's going on you know in this sector in the universe at this time. So the the you know John's determined to prove that the Lantern Way essentially is the right way and to win the universe back over at the same time. Uh, we cut back into the you know the control area of the Dark Stars, the headquarters. Tomar continues to choke out Hal. How you know Hal pretty much you know bre- he breaks free, and Hal's like, I think I have it figured out. You, you killed Goldface and Romat Rue, but what did it accomplish? Do you feel any better? 
It's like a d- deep down, you're just still just a scared kid who lost his dad, you know, which is obviously Hal's trying to make an analogy there. And and Tomar kind of appropriately freaks out and goes, I didn't lose him. He was taken from me, taken by a killer who you could have killed first. And he's like, how, how, did, how do you do it? How do you accept your father's death? Why aren't you angry? Don't you want to make someone pay? And Hal's like, I don't have any answers for you. I'm me. And he whacks him with like a whole bunch of – like. Energy construct fists, which I really, really like. <laughs> it's like, my dad's death made me who I am, not because it took him away, but because I held on tighter to the parts of him I was lucky enough to have. You only held on to your dad's absence when becoming a Green Lantern couldn't fix what was broken. You became this. You know, My dad died a test pilot, so I climbed into a cockpit. Yours died a Green Lantern, and you crawled down a hole. Yeah, that's good too. <laughs> I, got, I like guy with the eat turnbuckle dork stars. He's like basically do, doing a doing a wrestling thing by jamming him into the corner of a ring of the ring post. And now you know Zod, Zod at this point is pretty much you know he's he's had enough playing by the the lantern rules. He's ready to use his heat vision to you know, to blast through one of the, the the mantles of the dark stars face plate to kill them. And of course John steps in. It's like kill that dark star. And we'll point our justice at you. And John and Guy and Kyle are ready to leap into action. Still not 100% sure why this is really effective. It's so, so convincing against Zod, really. But, but Zod, all of a sudden, uh, kind of he kind of acquiesces because Kyle says, you know, he is the general here, referring to John and Zod's, <laughs> and Zod's comment. Is, then it's time I assume command. Back inside the ship. Hey, we actually do have a Hector Hammond sighting. It's like... Uh, Hal's like, hey, Hammond, come on out. I know you're, you're, you're eavesdropping somewhere around here. Hector comes out. You're the best, Hal. No wonder why I could never beat you. You know, back when I was a villain. It's like, loose, Hal tells him to loosen his control on the, tele, you know, the, the, the telepathic link of the controllers. And then te- he tells uh, him to take cover. Tomar's like, what are you doing? It's like, you came here to end it, but it's never the end. As long as we're alive, we can still choose. The controller's mind connects the dark stars, right? Well, you feed off one another. It takes will to believe in good, but you've lost all that. If none of you has the will, then I'll give it to you. So basically, Hal, being Mr. Willpower, thanks to you know his ring that he forged, uh, he uses his ring to basically infuse willpower through, essentially, the, the controllers into the dark stars. And when he does that, at first, everybody doesn't know what's going on, but it basically it gives will to the Dark Stars. It short circuits and mal- makes all the mantles malfunction, and all the Dark Stars are kind of like floating outside in, in space now in their skivvies. <laughs> Which leads to another funny comment by Arkillo. You know, killing the enemy is not the same as allowing them to choke in the vacuum of space. <laughs> Very Batman begins. Yeah, with I, was you. Just gonna, I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that. It's, it's like I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. <laughs> and guys, like Ark makes a decent point, Johnny. <laughs> kind of re- reminds me of Return of the Living Dead. He's got a good point. He's got a point there, Bert. Uh, so all the you know, all the dark stars pretty much are, are are choking in space but Kyle pretty much leads the way to and all the lanterns start in, encasing all the fallen dark stars and energy construct shields bubbles to prevent them from dying in space inside uh you know inside the headquarters the, the head of the dark stars we see Tomar now back in his uh back in his skivvies and now it's like he has his 
moment of clarity. What have I done? You know, Father, I killed in your name. I turned away from everything you stood as a Green Lantern, everything I stood for. And it's like, how do I go on, Hal? And Hal's kind of like, you know, pay the debt, serve your time, and be a better man. No one is perfect, but even the worst can be better. Perfect timing, of course. Right then, Zod finally arrives because he knew he had to. Like, because uh, now he's looking for payback against, you know, the the the, the legacy here. He couldn't he couldn't kill uh, Tomar Ray for letting Krypton blow up, but he can kill Tomar Tomar too. But now Hal steps in and says, "You're a better broad friend, Zod." You know, because basically he was going to stand in his way. Again, I'm not 100% sure why this is such a big. You know, I know Hal did do a decent job against Zod the last time they did square off finally, but. Again, I'm not sure why Zod's acquiesces so easily, but while this is going on in, in the background, Tomar says, "No, how? You know, no one else dies because of me." He grabs the glove part of the Dark Star mantle and he essentially blasts himself. Uh, at first, uh, Zod's kind of like pissed by this because it's like the, long, the line of Tomar Ray is meant to be severed by my hand. Hal tells him to leave, and then it's like, "Ah, let him bleed out slowly." It's like, feel, feel. Feel every drop as I feel the loss of every Kryptonian, and just like that, my people are avenged. So Tomar is kind of dying in Hal's arms. Uh, this this kind of reminded me of Vader and Luke for some reason. <laughs> and Tomar is kind of like, you know, don't mourn for me, Hal. I'm a killer. I deserve lethal justice. You know, the Dark Star way, which is kind of a clever take on that. That eventually, you think all the Dark Star is doing what they're doing by enforcing lethal justice, would kind of then justify themselves being killed by another Dark Star, potentially for enforcing lethal justice. Hal's like, stop talking, I'll, t- I'll get you back to Mogo. Uh, hey, we have we have Salak's companion's name again. Dr. Thava can patch you up. Tomar's like, no, you, you, it's like, you can do anything, but you can't save me. You tell them I was good at the end, I was good. So it kind of is that Anakin redemption, redemptive moment. Everybody in now outside in in Sector One. Everybody's well back. You know, everybody, everybody's out celebrating or their victory now. Uh, hey, we won! We won! It's like uh, and because they really didn't think that was going to work. Then Hal Hal arrives with you know the fallen body of Tomar. You know, let's let's take him home. Now we cut to Mogo. And we have uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, a a scene of uh, Tomar Lee waking up. I like besides her ring, she's got some, you know, her, her toys, and she's got a picture of her family, and and her, and she's got a very sloppy room, that's for sure. And it's like, it's like, it's like her ring is singing to her, which I kind of like in the morning. Like, good morning, Somarly. Good morning, Somarly. <laughs> and she wakes wakes up, and she's all happy. Today's the day. Today's the day. She puts the ring on. Even she looks really tiny in this in this issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a little too tiny based on the last time we saw her. And she she kind of flies by a, a lot of the other lanterns who seemingly are just waking up. We probably could have done without seeing Kilowog and his boxers. But <laughs> it's like, today's the day, today's the day. And she keeps flying around, and Kilowog's like, hey, nice, ha- nice having a kid around. Uh, Hal meets with, excuse me, John meets with the, the Guardians in their chamber, and Hal I'm sorry about that. John points out the you know, Dark Stars have been re- returned, you know, to their native worlds to stand trial. Most have already confessed or are willing to atone. The controllers are in comas. If they wake up, they'll stand trial too. Zod went, you know, went back to his planet. Orion Arkilla went back home. Nobody knows what happened to Hector Hammond, but Hal thinks he isn't a threat anymore. Well, that's pretty nice of Hal. <laughs> but we'll be on the lookout for him. Uh, Ganthet, uh, you know. 
Word of the Green Lantern Corps' heroism is spreading, Jon Stewart. You defeated the Dark Stars and upheld the law, all without taking a single life. There is hope for the future and for the Green Lanterns. Our legacy as Guardians has a chance to endure. For that, we will remain eternally grateful. John points out there's a long way to go before the core is back where it should be, but this is a first, a good first step. Gantha says, you know what must happen now. You have guided the Lanterns through many trials, from the rule of Sinestro's law to the Dark Stars rising. Very nicely tied in there, you know, the first arc to the last arc of this book. The honor of leading the ceremony is yours. John kind of gives this, you know, rah-rah moment in front of the central power battery, battery excuse me, about, you know, how we're a family and we've gone through a lot together. And, you know, we've made decisions, and the next one is the most important. And it's like uh, our family is about to get bigger. bigger. Jeez, I'm on, I'm on drugs today. <laughs> and finally, for the first time, I think in, in a long time, the the central power battery sends, and MOGO combined send out power rings into the universe to, to recreate. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus. Uh, to recruit. Uh, the, to recruit new Green Lanterns. We have some cool panels of John and you know the the rest of the four corpsmen are there talking, and uh, so there's a nice little moment you know moment of uh, victory here. So we're kind of basking in the glow. We cut back to two eight one four, Coast City. At least I didn't say Cost City. <laughs> we hear we see Hal knocking on the door. Uh, it opens. It's Carol, looking pretty good actually. <laughs> And how's like? And you're feeling really fine because the yeah. girl is stacked. <laughs> <laughs> and Hal's kind of like Caroline, and it's like a, I don't know where to start. Car- Carol's like I know, me too. They kiss, and I, the last little wor- you know, little words on the page is never the end. Even though thus ends <laughs> issue fifty. <laughs> <laughs> but we know we but but we but we know what he meant. Oh, with the yeah. events. So that was that was kind of a nice touch. Sorry, <laughs> sorry for the for the for the joke, but it's like, is it just me or is Carol? Carol's one of the the like the the women associated with one of the heroes who never really has like a consistent look. Like Lois yes. is pretty standard, you know. You know, Catwoman's pretty standard, like so on and so forth. But Carol, it's just like you know. <laughs> A, sh- a brunette or a darker-haired woman, <laughs> slightly shorter than Hal. Like her proportions are always a little skewed, depending on who's doing what. And it's just like, I don't know. I, it, she doesn't. She's not like if she were by herself in a book, no one would be able to point her out. If Lois was by herself, you'd be able to point her out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. So, but anyways. That that being more of a point than it really should be, uh, the, <laughs> I really I, I, I like this issue. I thought I thought you finished this one off well. It definitely was one of the better payoffs and one of the better concluding chapters in some of the in most of the of all the arcs we've gotten from Robert. It's one, it's, if it's not the absolute best, which it may be, it's certainly one of the best concluding chapters. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, for sure. The art was really good. I like how they chose to do uh, a lot of. Uh, full page shots. Yes. So, so that was really well done. It, I, I would assume that's Robert's doing. If not, maybe the editors. You know, just hey, this is not only my last issue; it's my artist's last issue. Let's let's make sure that they they get some room to 
to really shine their light here uh, on this final issue as well. Let's give several full page shots. So that was cool. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, um, the stuff, uh, the the stuff between the the four Earth guys. I mean, I I really enjoyed some of the banter and some of the characterization there. That was cool. Uh, as for how everything ended, it, I didn't really feel cheated, but it, it 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 it's one of those things like you you look at it and you go, oh yeah, of course it was going to end this way, because I mean it was pretty it's pretty telegraphed in terms of what happens to Guy in his mantle. Right. An infusion of willpower breaks it, and then the stuff that happens to Hal when he's overridden by Hector's mind back on, on you know, let's just say his planet, since it's infused with his willpower and all this stuff. Uh, so, I mean, like, between those two things, it's like, okay, so that's got to be how it, how, it, how it ends. So the, Hec- the Hector stuff was a little, that was a little disappointing. Uh, which part about it? The just the, the how little he played in this particular yeah, issue. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you and I kind of talked about. I think we talked about it off air, not necessarily on air, when we did the last recap of the issues. That more or less from the middle of, or the early part actually, not even the middle. I think the early part of issue forty nine through mo- almost this entire issue, Hector Hammond's really not a factor. In fact, that's why I acted surprised when I was doing the recap, because I actually did forget when I read this issue the first time that Hector Hammond actually does show up for a second in this in this issue. I completely had forgotten that that he had you know, he was he, you know he was there, you know, as a uh, precursor to Hal in in you know basically using Will to go through the controllers using through the bond. But yeah, that's that's that, that's a little hazy. Uh I don't I think Hal might really believe Hector's heart is in the right place, but since Hector seems to be always have to be constantly reminded not to do the wrong thing, I don't know how confident he really should be that Hector's not going to do the bad thing inadvertently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the way they kind of like losing track of him seems a little careless to say the least. Because <laughs> uh, you can make a case of all of everybody. He's kind of he's kind of he, he might be the bigger threat. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, I think uh, Arkillo had a, you know, Arkillo didn't have that much to do in this. He had some funny lines. There's no doubt he was he was funny. It would be curious to see what our, you know, if Arkillo has uh, does have to pay, you know, the, some consequences for what he did here. I mean, obviously, we we if we're gonna find out, we're not gonna find out, in, you know, for a while. I'm probably who knows. And who knows what book we'll find out in, uh, whether Sora would be the one to stick it to him <clears throat> or when the time comes that Sinestro goes back and gets his core back, that, you know, he wouldn't be thrilled with that idea potentially either. Or he – well, Sinestro is so up and down from a pragmatic perspective, he could he could possibly see the relevance of it and why the Dark Stars were a threat. But I like our killer. I just wish he got more to do. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's a constant thing, and we'll talk about that more. Uh, in the retrospective, so I like that uh, Zod. You know, Zod was he was okay. I mean, I like Zod is just he's got such an attitude that he's that he is he's it makes him interesting. So it would have been cool if he had brought the Eradicator with him too. 
but it yeah but that's just but that's just nitpick that's just nitpicking they really didn't need the eradicators per se since the eradicator is the one who gave john's all the john all the plans for the uh disruptor orion really was i still don't honestly get what the other than going back to the ties with the new gods which i guess that ultimately is what it and and the debt that in this series that orion felt like he owed kyle other than that, Orion didn't really serve any real purpose in the story. <laughs> he really did. Yeah, it's it's a callback to the New Gods thing, and it's a callback to the debt. Other than that, he's he's a non-entity. Yeah. I mean, he's he's another heavy hitter to have on your hand. Like, if you're going to have a Kryptonian, <laughs> why not have a New God? But other other than that, he's nothing more than a power hitter. Right. I mean, again, and there, maybe there's a reason for this. Maybe there's not. It would certainly seem this would this would have been a good this would have been a good opportunity for even if you're not going to see anybody else but him, but for Saint Walker to show up. Because when, yeah. when you're outgunned, when you're outnumbered by uh, by another core, it would be nice to have somebody who could literally amp up not just the green but the greens, but Arkillo too to like 200 percent each. That kind of would have been advantageous. <laughs> yeah, there's there's another option we hadn't thought of too, or hadn't mentioned at least. It's an issue fifty. Who else could have been in here? Oh yeah, that that I think I think yeah, I guess we can talk about that here. It is even though I I think whether there were de- and we can find out about this whether there were deliberate some tie-ins, homages to like an Emerald Twilight Green Lantern fifty-ish thing with the fight between Tomar and Hal. Yeah. And you can also explain it away because, technically speaking, this isn't a Green Lantern title. This isn't you know, this book is a is a Green Lantern title, but it's not titled Green Lantern. Let me phrase it that way. So it's not this, so it, it, while it does kind of break the recent tradition of since Volume Three of every issue fifty having Parallax in it of a Hal Jordan Green Lantern book, it technically isn't a green, book titled Green Lantern. So you could also stretch it a little. But yeah, it's disappointing. But we knew that was going to happen. We knew, I uh, we we knew of all the characters that were unlikely to show up in this in in this book by issue fifty. I mean, I don't know about you. This is the way I felt. I didn't feel we were going to get any surprises in issue fifty, as in people showing up. I once, right. once based on the way the arc was being laid out before us, and once we got to forty nine. As now, to me, I assumed 50 was just going to be the resolution. I mean, you can make a yeah, case. The, with 49, the board is set. Yeah. I mean, you can make a case Carol is the, is the surprise, if you will, at the end. You can make a case she is the surprise re, you know, reappearance. But I didn't think by the time we got to 49, I mean, if they were going to throw us a curveball, 49 would have been it. You know, whether it's Sora showing up with the Sinestro Corps, whether it's Sinestro showing up, whether it's, you know, you know the parallax entity showing up, whether it's you know convergence, any of those, and or all of them, the Indigo Tribe, all this stuff. If it was going to sh- happen, I think it would at least showed up like at the last page of 49. But since we didn't get any of that, I did not. And based honestly on the solicits ahead of time, I that my expectations for kind of getting what I would have wanted, a little bit more of what I would have wanted, that kind of expectation had already been, you know, laid to rest. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Carol, uh, we end this book with with uh, her and Hal having a moment together. He comes back to her to spend time with her. We don't know where things go from there. We probably won't for a long time. But how do you feel with how this ended? The reason I ask, because I'll just start off with what I what I feel about it is, I both like it and dislike it. And there's and let me explain. The reason I 
like it is because you guys know as listeners for a long time, anybody who's new listening, let me explain. For a long time, I've been saying that the nature of the Green Lantern universe is cyclical. There have been times, there have been eras of Green Lantern where they decide to kick him out into space and let's do cosmic stuff for a long time. But, I, and you can look it up. I, go, go look up the facts, and, and I promise they'll, they'll, they'll back me up here. Inevitably, something happens, either the sales dip or creative team changes or whatever. Somebody comes on and says, enough of the space. Hal Jordan is not only the protector of 2814 and a member of the core, he is an earthling from Earth with friends, family, so on and so forth. So they bring him back down to Earth, and he has some existential crisis or something like that that brings him down, and he interacts with this world again, and then the cycle repeats. That gets boring for readers after a while, so then they kick him back out into space. Well, essentially... Since about, I mean, I don't want to say Blackest Night, but let's say Blackest Night because I know there was some time during Brightest Day and so on and so forth and during Blackest Night itself where he was on Earth doing everything. But th these are huge events, so you can't really count a massive event that just so happens to bring him to Earth, but you know, whatever. Since about midway, whatever, through Jeff Johns' run, we have seen Hal in basically nothing but space. Not a lot of huge, uh, huge home arcs. Not a lot of him interacting with family, friends, Carol, so on and so forth. So seeing him come back down to Earth, really, you know, that that's something that I've been wanting to see. So in that aspect, I like it. And the reason I don't like it is because it almost cheapens the moment. And I think cheapen might be the wrong word because it feels it feels like too strong of a word. But it, for lack of a better term, it almost cheapens the moment because it's just like if you were going to have, you know, his 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 this desire in him to you know when all is said and done he wants to be with and see Carol. Wouldn't you have done it by now? I mean, he's had Carol uh, show up in his run. You know, there was there was uh, a few moments. You know, there was that that one issue that had the cover of of uh, Carol walking away from Hal in her Star Sapphire getup. So she's been involved before, and Hal has been on Earth during Venditti's run. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, I guess the most recent time would be the Parallax thing when Convergence Parallax came down. But I mean, that was like a two three issue thing, and you know, he was there with the uh, uh, during the Sonar run or during the Sonar arc. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, there have been moments here and there, but they were all, they were always so brief. Like, it was almost like, let me take some shore leave real quick. I'm not even really here to hang out. I'm here to deal with other stuff. And then go back up in this space. So it's, it's not like Robert didn't do it. He definitely did, and it fit within what he wanted to do with this arc. So I'm not saying that he has never given us this. So why would he give us this now? It's just we've gotten so little of it, specifically with Carol, that it's just like if it was this important to Hal that when this huge event ends, the end-all, be-all, he wants to go home and see Carol, then why haven't we seen that before now? So I like it, and I don't like it. 
I can understand that. I think to me it does it does seem on one level it seems forced because even though she has been a very minor factor in this book, certainly in the Hal Jordan the Core book, that she's been a very minor factor that on one level it seems weird that even though we've kind of remember this scene almost remember this scene was close to playing out before when Hal was on Earth and he almost when he left the flowers outside her door. Yeah, that's true. Thank so, you for reminding me of that. So it, it in that way, almost in the same way that um, having Orion was you know sort of a non-entity, but it does tie up a certain plot point. I guess in that way, yes, it does. Having Carol there may feel like it feels, but it does tie up a certain plot point. Yeah, as far, certainly from a perspective of unfinished business, right? That, because we were we kind of were te- you know we kind of were teased in that just like when when Hal was having that mind games played with him about you know, how perfect thing I forget what it was like how perfect things were and Hal knew that was wrong because that just wasn't <laughs> the way his life would be or was, and then when he was yeah then he was about to go uh, see Carol and he had to leave the, and he just left the flowers at her doorstep. So so on that level, I it makes sense that they would come back to this because it almost happened before. It so it maybe in a way it's like passing the baton to because even though Robert didn't do much with the Hal Carol thing, that maybe it's kind of just like you know putting that back on the table, either by by request or just just because he felt he should to just you know put get that get that status quo maybe back a little more what it like it has been traditionally. For you know, for as it's going to be Graham Morrison, obviously, but whoever was going to be following him next and writing Hal's stories next, so maybe there was a little of that. But but I do. But there also is that element of it being. It does seem odd since Carol was such a huge non-factor for like ninety plus percent of this, this these fifty issues for her to be the final you know the final scene. But I think it's. Uh, I'm sure if we given some time, you, we could probably come up with maybe maybe something that would have been just as appropriate. But it's it I, but it seems it's it seemed to fit. It didn't. I mean, I had no issue with it. No pun intended. So I I thought it overall overall it worked. To me, it was less of a plot point than just Hector Hammond being left to wander in space. Um, all right. Is there anything else about this issue you'd like to talk about before we go to uh, break and come back with uh, Robert Venditti? Is there anything else? I would say just talking about this this arc brief, just real quickly, since we'll be talking more about that later on. I just, I do think, I do think overall it was. It justified maybe the direction that they were going in, or they chose to go in, with this arc. I think, based on the way they ended it, and and, ha- and based on, I guess, the purpose. I mean, obviously, it's all bought. I mean, and I don't mean this in. A, it's going to come out negative, but I don't mean it negative. It's all because it, it's writing. It's all self-serving in a way because you're connecting the dots. To what, you're leading things to intersect the way you want them to intersect, no matter what. But because of the way how it all all the dots connect at the end, it's a little more to me. It's a little more understandable and acceptable that they chose to go the way they did with the Dark Stars, as opposed to giving us the big moral debate about lethal justice. You know, the pros and cons of of pro lethal justice, anti lethal justice. So because of how it where it positions the core at the end of this book, and the the in a way how how the core again comes full full circle from where they were. When this book started, 
that I think that kind of putting them back in their proper place or, getting, or opening the door for them to have, end up in their proper place, which they certainly were not when this book started, that I think that that's another cyclical thing. So I think that I, I do like that. Right. All right. Uh, I mean, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I, I think uh, I think it was handled in an interesting way. It doesn't. Does it seem like Robert is coming off and 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 uh, on one side of the you know uh, lethal justice debate, of course, but it also doesn't really feel like he's saying it's the end all be all solution. Uh, it just seems like it's it's his way, kind of with, kind of the way you mentioned that Carol uh, entering the picture is almost like resetting the board for the next creative team. If Venditti was going to fix anything about the Lantern mythos before he passed on the torch, if he was going to leave his mark on it in some way, shape, or form with his final arc, maybe he felt the Lanterns being killers whenever they chose to was something he wanted to take off the board. And as a Green Lantern fan, uh, I mean, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have an issue going you know, backtracking on that level either. I didn't, I didn't have a big issue with them instituting lethal force. I think it's like everything else. It's like every, everything. And it sounds weird when used in this context, but it's like everything in moderation. It's like if you, it can, it obviously anything can be corrupting if you let it be. So the idea that, oh, you're going to just go randomly kill people left and right, I mean, because it makes you wonder. Like you talk – because in a way, let's suppose they open the door basically to this – maybe this reevaluation of the of the core's decision not to kill besides what the Dark Star is taking it to an 11 is the fact that we saw someone like Tomar who basically there was lethal force enabled. Arguably, maybe he had killed, you know, killed other – criminals or other Lantern members before, Lantern Corps members uh, that he was fighting. But he had the opportunity to take, uh, what's his face, Romat Ruin, and he just uh, he opted to kill him because he knew Romat Ruin was going to get out again, and, and plus Romat Ruin was kind of taunting him. That if Tomar was where he was from a mindset perspective, Obviously, if the if the ring if the ring wasn't enabled to allow that, the ring would have would not have let him go that far. But it doesn't mean he still wouldn't have killed. You know, he could have he could have right. used the ring to you know really done serious damage to Romat, even if it was just knocking him unconscious and then just killing him by you know manually killing him, spearing him with something. So it just I don't know. I think it does. It absolutely makes it a much harder task for the Green Lantern Corps and again if depending on one's perspective maybe that's what it should be maybe because they are a cut above and maybe they are because they do stand for something with a higher standard it's a you know it's a level higher morality that maybe it, it should be harder for them maybe on that level but again then we end up back to the same theoretically you go back to the same moral question about yeah, like if Batman, if Batman would just kill – if he had just killed the Joker, look at all the different people, all the, all the people that would be alive you know, during the course of, of the, the Joker's career. And that's before the, the idea of three Jokers existed. <laughs> but, 
but the same thing is like it's like Sinestro of how how just well technically he kind of sort of did in his mind's eye anyway killed Sinestro. But if he was willing to just kill Sinestro again and do stuff like that, look at all the people that would be and and there's a side there's there's a merit to that argument like we've talked about before. They chose to go yeah. a different way, but at least I think the ending and the way this arc played out, they justify it more than just like on a high horse, and this is the way we want to cover it. We don't that I think they justified it, and at least it was well written from that perspective. That this is why this point of view seemingly is the only one the you know the Green Lantern Corps really can uh, ultimately go with or side with. Awesome. All right, guys, we are going to go ahead and go to break, and when we come back, we will have Mr. Robert Venditti on the line with us to discuss not only this issue, but his entire tenure with Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, as well as Green Lantern during the New 52 after Jeff Johns left, and uh, and more. Woohoo! So sit tight. Phew, another great show wrapped. Sure was. Now, uh, time to move on to our serious business. Time for the monthly team meeting. So, Team WFD, roll call. Activate. Host, Mike. I'm here, bro. Webmaster, Doug. Hey, everybody. Kapow. Tech support, Rifty. Huzzah. It is I, Rifty. Ascendient Twitter account, Wilfred. And me, other host, Paul. Okay, everyone present. Now let's look at our upcoming schedule because we've got some big things coming up. I think our first order of business should be the new segment. Thoughts? Is the new segment about my triumphant return to your world? What the f***? Holy s***, son of a... Who let the candle maker in here? Well, Fred? There are far too many humans on this show. I'm just trying to balance things out. Look, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Candlemaker. There's nothing really for you in the upcoming episodes. Plus, let's be honest, you, you had your 15 minutes. What? what? How dare you? I'm King Kandor. Yeah, 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 whatever. Look, um, we've got a new segment launching. We've got some guests planned, Jail May 2 to look forward to, not to mention our 100th episode coming up, and we really don't have room for you. I'm sorry. But, 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 but what? what? <sighs> Fine. Fine. Whatever. Whatever. You mortals and your show show suck. suck. Oh, yeah? Well, we might suck, but we can still blow you out just like Dorothy the Ape-Face Girl did. Yeah, in your face, King Candle. Oh, ha, ha. Very funny. funny. Bye, losers. losers. See you in hell. hell. Man, that guy was a jerk. Waiting for Doom, the world's greatest Doom Patrol podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Podbean.com. All right, guys, we're back from break, and with us right now, we have Mr. Robert Venditti. Welcome to the show, Robert. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Very well. Uh, hey, man. Yeah, you're 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 more than overdue for an appearance on the show, but uh, hey, it's it's a big one since uh, 50 was your final issue. Well, I think you uh, guys have like a rule, don't you? You have to write 85 issues before you can be on the show or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, in it's so. in it's, it's in our writer. I've been working towards it this whole time, and I finally got there. You know. I, I think that you have to write eight issues to be on the show. That's what it's eight doing. issues. Yeah. Dang it, I read that wrong. I read that wrong. We could have done this a long time ago. Eight point six or higher. <laughs> so uh, 50s out, Dark Stars Rising is over. Uh, did did that story 
go how you imagined your final arc would go? Did it? Did you have enough time to do everything you wanted to do? Did that? Did that all flesh out the way you imagined it? It did. Yeah. If anything, it was a little bit longer than maybe I would have anticipated when I first knew I was going to do a Dark Star story. I don't know, a year ago, whatever it was. But uh, you know, there's always things that. Especially with a book like Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps, you don't just have the four leads, but you've got an entire core filled with great characters like Kilowog and Rotlop Fan and, you know, everybody. And so there's always more stuff that you could do if you had the space. Uh, 20 pages of a comic book isn't a ton of space when you're dealing with a cast at large. So you'd always want to have more to do more things. But, uh, you know, working within the, the 21. Uh, the 20 page constraints of the monthly issues and the oversized 28 we have for the last one. I think we got, uh, we got in what we wanted to get in. Awesome. And speaking of, uh, that final issue, I mean, it's, it's all out now. We saw the resolution of it. Uh, I, I was actually curious about that final page. You, you mentioned in a book like Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, you have a gigantic cast of characters to follow, let alone just with the earth lanterns. Then you throw in the entire core and you've got a mess to follow. So what inspired you to end it on the note of Carol, given that most of your run, at least on this title, didn't have a ton of Earthbound, uh, his per- interpersonal relationships with his ties on Earth uh, in the title? Yeah, I, I mean, I knew that's how I was going to end the series. Gosh, I don't even know how long ago. I knew that those last two pages were going to be that. I mean, certainly as far back as issue 31, when he goes and tries to visit her the first time, and, uh, you know, gets called away to, for Green Lantern business. Um, it, I don't know. It just seemed like a nice way to add to to tie off not just to how Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps run, but also what I had done in New 52. Carol wasn't a character that we really used a lot. Um, you know, the nature of what we tried to do with the series was to be more space bound um, you know, and that was even the concept uh, with Rebirth. It was uh, Green Lanterns would be the Earthbound book, and Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps, would be the Spacebound book. And knowing that Hal was going to be in space the entire time, uh, we wouldn't really be using, you know, Carol that much or, you know, his, his brother and his brother's kids and any of those kinds of things. But um, I was okay with that. I mean, there's always give and take on on different things. And uh, different stories you're going to want to do. But for me, what Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps was, was a story about these four lanterns. And no matter how different they are, how much they respect and admire each other and this friendship and loyalty they have towards each other. And they're stronger as four than any of them would be individually. You know, you hear a lot of things from different people over the years. And as I'm sure you're aware, it's quite a, uh, uh, what's the word I would use? competitive fan base maybe a divided <laughs> fan base you know like everybody has their favorite you know and uh you hear a lot of complaints you know guy doesn't have a supporting cast or kyle doesn't have a supporting cast or john doesn't have a supporting cast to me the supporting cast is each other you know it's like it's like a war movie where the supporting cast is the soldiers and and you know they're each other's supporting cast and so that was kind of how i envisioned the series going um but for how I don't know. I just thought it was a nice moment uh, to end on. And and you don't need to know anything about Carol to understand that moment. If you do know a lot about Carol and you've been reading Green Lantern forever, 
you understand that moment. But if you don't, you understand from the nature of that moment that these are two people that have known each other so well and have been through so much together. They don't even need to talk. They don't even need the words because they've been through it so many times. And so I didn't feel like it was anything that readers would be confused by or anything like that, even if they weren't. You know, historic readers of Green Lantern and knew about Hal and Carol going all the way back and all those kinds of things. Gotcha. It was a really good ending. I I I thought that was a I thought that was a fitting end to the to the book. And obviously, your run, but just just if you're closing out a Hal Jordan or a Green Lantern series featuring Hal Jordan having Hal and Carol together, especially like you mentioned. Uh, Chad and I think talked about it when we talked about the issue how that was that callback to when Hal was at the doorstep and almost got to have that moment with Carol before but was but was denied I wanted to ask about Hector Hammond I thought you did a really really good job using Hector Hammond not just in this arc but just the way you kind of have developed the Hal Hector Hammond relationship was it how important was it from your perspective to kind of leave the Hector Hammond fate or what happened Open, open-ended at the end, not to have any kind of resolution or point in one direction or another where Hector was going to go. It wasn't uh, certainly. I, I, it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was a certain uh, goal to make sure there was no direction for him. It just felt very fitting of his character and the way that we treated him. You know, as this sort of detached. Uh, you know, m- means well, but. Is so uber powerful. He's sort of detached from reality, you know. It just seemed like a fitting end for him to have just wandered off and nobody knows where he is, you know. And I don't know what anybody else is ever going to do with that. I certainly didn't want to put him back in Strikers Island or put him back in jail or anything like that. I, I don't know. He, he kind of got to be kind of lovable to me towards the end. I didn't want to do that to him, but uh, it just seemed fitting for him to just wander off because he was kind of just a. A, a wandering, detached, you know, moseying kind of guy is the way we treated him uh, throughout the whole arc. And so that just seemed like it would make sense for him, you know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now, the the arc ends with with Tomar dying, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that the plan? No, he along? dies? <laughs> Spoiler alert! <laughs> hey. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Well, I mean, got to ask, because, I mean, Tomar's been around for a long time. There's a lot of legacy attached to that character and a lot of complexity, too. I mean, he's a lost lantern, so he has that uh, animosity uh, when he first comes back, you know, back in the day towards Hal. Mm -hmm. And then but he's also got that love that he has built up over the years because of Hal's ties to his father. So, I mean, given given the complexity of that character, was it always the plan to take him out in this way or was it? sort of just evolved over time. Yeah, sometimes you you know uh, far in advance. And I, I tend to be a pretty uh, outline-oriented writer. You know, like I, I sit down and I write a lot of things in notebooks and I kind of have plans and, and things, and they don't always work out. And especially in something like monthly comics, you, you really need to be a speedboat. You need to be able to adjust to situations as they come up and changes in the publishing plan or – uh, you can use a character, you can't use a character, you thought you could use a character, but then you can't. You know, these things are all very common as part of working in a shared universe. So I try to outline things out, and of course, it's not always, doesn't always go the way you want, but the most fun parts about writing to me are when 
the things kind of write themselves. You know, you get to a point and something presents itself to you as the next course of action that you're going to type and you didn't even see it coming. You know, you never, you didn't really think it through. And that was kind of it. As I was getting to that moment and where Tomar 2 was in that moment, it just made sense to me that he would kill himself because, you know, what he had done as a character and also what his philosophy was as a dark star and meeting out lethal justice against murderers. He himself now being a murderer kind of stayed true to his own code in that regard, you know, but everything that he had done to besmirch what it meant to be a lantern, to be, to be smirch what his father stood for. I thought about it various ways. Like there were even discussions. Do we keep him alive and put him in jail and let him reform himself? You know, do we keep him alive and let him be a villain? And he's the only dark star who still has a mantle and his name, his villain name just becomes dark star or something like that. We talked about all those things, but it just made the most sense and seemed the most honest thing to do in the story that he would take his own life. And that would be the end of it. Yeah, <clears throat> I, had a, I did have. We thought about beginning the interview with this question, but we did want to talk about fifty. You know, the, the meat of fifty first. When exactly? Sure. Did, but when? When exactly did you decide you were leaving, and what was the you know the the thought process behind that? That I was leaving the series. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh uh, gosh, I don't even know. You know, with with monthly comics, it's one of those things where you never know what's going to happen on any project that you're going to be on for any kind of reason. You know, it's, it's a serialized art form and things are always changing. So whenever I take over a project, um, like Exxon of War, for example, which was the first monthly series I ever did, which I wrote for Valiant, uh, first monthly comic I ever wrote came out in May of, I guess, 2012, I believe, you know, um, I really hoped I'd be able to do it for 12 issues. And then I, I, I really, really hoped I'd be able to do it for 24. And then after that, I don't really know what's going to happen. And it would just kind of be one of those things like, Hey, are we going to keep going? Yeah, we're going to go another six months. I go, all right. And I come up with more story, you know, it's the same thing with how Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps, you never know how long things are going to go, especially with a book like this. There's never been another book called how Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps before it's, it's a brand new title. Nobody else has ever written it. Um, the cast of characters that's in it is in high demand in terms of they're all high-profile characters uh, in the DCU, as as you see with John being over in Justice League now and things like that. So it's just one of those things where when I sat down and started the series, I knew that first sort of year in broad strokes would be this this long-form arc about the Sinestro Corps and the Green Lantern Corps working together and, and all those kinds of things. And as we were winding towards the end of that, it was like, are, are we going to keep going? And they're like, yep, we're going to keep going. And so then you start planning out more things. And um, it just got to a point somewhere along the line where 85 issues is just a really long time to be doing anything. And I, I don't mean to say that I don't like the characters anymore, that uh, I'm sick of them and I don't ever want to write them or anything like that. But just creatively, to be on something for six years – and to do 85 issues plus annuals is just a lot of creative energy to devote to one single thing. And even on a double ship schedule, which we did for Rebirth, that's a very, very grueling schedule to be on. And monthly comics is already grueling in and of itself because a lot of people don't realize this sort of relentless 
treadmill of content delivery that you have to have in monthly comics where every 28 days a book has to leave and the amount of story generation that that takes and the amount of lead time you have to be ahead. Double that when it comes to a double ship book because a book's leaving the door every 14 days now. And now you're juggling different artists and at different times I'd be writing five separate issues for five different artists all at the same time out of order, you know, because it's such a compressed schedule and artists need enough time to draw their issues that somebody's drawing, you know, 36 and I haven't even written 34 and 35 yet, you know? So, um, that was something that I wanted to try to do from a scheduling perspective. And we were able to maintain it there for a good chunk of the run where, once I sort of got the rhythm of the time that the artists working on the book needed and how long it, it would take for them to draw a full issue, I really put my head down and got really far ahead so that we had a point in the series where Rafa Sandoval could draw an entire four-issue arc all by himself. And then Patrick Zerger could draw two issues all by himself. And then Jack Herbert could draw four issues all by himself. Like, that's really hard to do on a double ship schedule. And so I think they're just, you just get to a point where you want to uh, have new challenges and you want to do different things with different characters. New opportunities come up, like Hawkman or uh, the Vertigo graphic novel that I'm working on. And there's another project I'm doing for DC right now that hasn't been announced yet. But those things, you know, sort of pop up and, and uh, it's nothing against the book that you're working on, but you feel like you've said the things you want to say with those characters, and now you want to go and, and do something different, you know? Plus yeah, you're on, for sure. Plus you were on that book for a long time, so it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, six years, you know, yeah. and I don't uh, – I guess I would say two things. One, that's that's pretty long by the current standards of the marketplace, you know, that, that a series even reaches 50 is pretty rare nowadays, but that somebody would be on a character for 85 issues is relatively rare. And then I, I would venture to say if we were to go back in time to, I don't know, whatever it was, June 2013, when Green Lantern 21 came out, if you did a poll and asked people if I'd be on it for 85 issues, I don't think anybody would have said yes, you know? So, uh, I feel very fortunate to have been on it uh, as long as I was. Yeah, and when you were talking about the schedule, I mean, Mark and I have been doing this for a long time. So obviously part of the show is getting these books and reviewing them from the point of view of Lantern fans. So our, a part of our reading process is the critique process. So one thing that I think a lot of people forget uh, in all of this is that you can critique a book but it's not going to matter because the the in the long run because the writer and the in the creative team is got by the time a book hits they're like six to eight issues ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, I try to stay minimum six months ahead of my artists, and you know there's a lot of things that go into being a comic book writer and um, you know the professional sort of business side of it. This isn't to say that writing is the most important part of a comic book. It certainly isn't, but it is the first part. Right. Until I've written my comic. The penciler can't pencil, and until he pencils, the inker can't ink, and until he inks, the colorist can't color, and the letterer can't do anything either. So there is an entire train of people that can't leave the station until I've left the station. And those are people that depend on this for their income, and that's how they feed their families and go about their lives and do the things that they want to do. So for me to blow deadlines or for me to not be far enough ahead that my artists have to wait around for me to deliver script, to me, is disrespectful to how they earn their money and how they pay their bills and, and – and what they do. So 
one of the things I take most seriously is to be far enough ahead that nobody's ever waiting for me on script for anything. And if I get to a point where I'm only four months ahead because of, you know, delays on the editorial side for various reasons, you know, trying to get storylines approved or trying to figure out where characters are going to be for me to be able to use them or not or something like that, because I can't just use General Zod. I, I have to get approval to use General Zod. He's not a Green Lantern character, so things have to go through the Superman group and make sure it's okay for me to use them and make sure they're okay to do for me to do the things I want to do and all those kinds of things. If I get to the point where I'm like four months ahead or three months ahead, I start to get angry, you know, like we need to get this train rolling because I don't ever want an artist to be sitting there waiting on script delivery from me so that they can do their job and earn their living, you know. So I try to stay six months ahead at a minimum, um, which can be problematic sometimes because when things come through and, and things shift on the ground and they change and you've already got scripts banked, and you're already halfway through an arc because you're so far ahead and the change affects that arc, you have a limited amount of space to deal with it. But that's a that's a situation I'd rather deal with and creatively figure my way out of that box than, you know, be running late and everybody's waiting on me to be able to do their job. Right. Well, one thing one thing I wanted to ask about uh, fifty before we sort of move into other things is parallax. Now, yeah. as a Green Lantern writer for, for as long as you've been, you know that the tradition is you hit an issue 50, Parallax makes an appearance. You did it yourself uh, on, on before uh, Rebirth happened. So sure. what, what led you to the decision to have no involvement with Parallax in this final arc? I mean, I guess it's kind of a rare circumstance, right? Because I don't know, how often does a writer have two 50s on essentially the same thing? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? True. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, to me, like I did it once before, so why would I want to do it again? You know, I, it just—I—I I, I never thought about it in those terms until you bring it up now. But uh, I mean, I had two fifties. It's kind of a weird thing to have happen. So for me, I'd already done a parallax story. I didn't really want to do a parallax story again. It would have taken so much to implement that and to put that in motion and to get that where it needed to be for it to be a good story at 50 that it would have disrupted, I think a lot of the other things that, that we were trying to do. And since I'd already done it, it didn't really feel like I wanted to do it again. You know, I gotcha. Just had to ask as, yeah. as Green Lantern fans, you know, the, the, some of the fans out there were going to be curious. So we had well, to that's fine. Be, I mean, guys, be their go voice back through all of Green Lantern lore. And if you can find somebody who did two fifties on their own and did two parallax stories. I guess you got me, you know what I mean? But I, I don't know if that's ever happened before. So no, I don't think so. And yeah, that is an interesting point, especially with the constant rebooting and renumbering. It's, it makes it even harder. I mean, it's possible because you do have, you have a shot at hitting another 50. If you start over with another number one, but you're right. The odds of people sticking around that long. I wanted to ask a little bit about before again this is before we move off the dark stars and go more into your overall green lantern run the lethal obviously this the whole you were you had been building towards the dark stars rising and the and the big issue inside that whole arc about the debate on lethal justice you've been building towards that for a while Mm -hmm. Um, clearly that arc could have been framed the debate about lethal justice could have been framed in a few ways so i guess chad and i were a little curious about what was the rationale then you decided 
to frame it the way you did? Was it, uh, was it like a, the, a real personal reason for it, or just you thought this was the best approach to the subject in, based on the characters that you were using? I'm not sure I really understand the question. Like, what would be another way it would be framed that you well, would give an example of okay. something? That's, yeah. that, so that it seemed like in the beginning it could have been a debate where you present one side and and you present the other side. And they both have legitimate points of view. And I mean, you knew the Green Lanterns were going to win because it's a Green Lantern book, let's say. But you could have been left at the end going kind of like a Magneto, uh, Hal Jordan parallax kind of character how you react to some of their attempts at things where you know mm-hmm. they had to lose, but you weren't 100% sure that their motives were, were wrong. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. That, that yeah. They went yeah. about things in a bad way, but their actual – the goal they were trying to achieve may not have been so bad. So from, right. so I could – so from our, from our perspective, or we talked about it, I guess, it could have been approached that way where it's like leaving it more in your minds in the, up to the readers to decide the legitimacy of the debate. And clearly you framed it, which as the story went on, it made perfect sense why you did that, the way they were connected and the way basically they were amping amping up everybody's desire to do every little thing they wanted to act out about or feel the, the injustice. that They were feeding off each other because of the, 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 like the psionic connection. But we were just curious if, if uh, what the, the way you approached it, what, what was the driving force behind taking it? Sure. Okay. So um, I, I feel that I wanted to use Tomar II to represent the Dark Stars because of the reasons Chad had said earlier, right? He's a legacy character. He's been around for a while, has a lot of fans. I, I didn't want him to be like a mustache-twirling villain that nobody could relate to or nobody liked. I wanted to be a character that people liked and respected so that when he takes this side, you see his point. And I also felt that it was very believable to me and very sympathetic to be someone whose father was murdered by a criminal – and has tried to make a go of it as a police officer, and like it's just not working out. People are getting loose. They're killing again, Goldface, and on and on and on. So it seemed like it would be believable to me, and, and it would make the reader sort of think about that philosophical aspect of the conflict as opposed to just purely the physical one, which, of course, I wanted. You know, It's, it's the subtext of the story that hopefully puts some meat on the bones and makes it more than just – dudes hitting each other with constructs or whatever personally i you know without going into too much detail i have known people in my life who have been murdered you know so it's it's a very understandable emotion to react to that the way that i feel tomar too did you know that you want to take a life for a life but ultimately that's just not my worldview, and I don't think it would be the worldview of the heroes in this series either. You know, I, I feel like people can always have a chance to do better and and be better until they're dead, and then that chance is gone, and there is no opportunity for them to redeem themselves or to learn from mistakes or to be better people. So. Um, if you give up on that notion, which the Dark Star certainly did, that people can be better, I just, I just don't know what gets you out of bed in the morning, you know. And I'm, oh, yeah. I'm not discounting, I'm not discounting that philosophy or that aesthetic or that approach to writing or anything like that. But that's just not what motivates me and drives me as a writer. So I wanted to frame the story in a way 
the villains were sympathetic and relatable and you can understand and you would think about that. But ultimately, the heroes are the ones who win the day and uh, improve themselves in a way that sort of disproves the theory of the villains. Uh, that's just how I wanted to do it. Yeah, that, that completely makes sense because Mark and I were we, – we had a debate about it during one of our previous episodes. I mean it's it's not a bad thing when comics tackle you know social issues and stuff like that. I mean, God, it's one of the reasons the Green Lantern Green Arrow run was so popular. Uh, so you got to you got to stay relevant. You got to tackle the issues, but it's always they're always such big issues that it's when it comes to something like lethal justice. You know, you you look at the topic and you go, man, I can see I can almost see both sides. Like for you know, you you mentioned your your own personal past, and obviously we don't need to get into that. But there are reasons one would feel strongly about you know the idea of lethal justice, and then but there's also you know that part of us who just because I'm rewatching the series, you know, when you watch like something like Doctor Who and Doctor, the doctor's like, you know, I don't kill ever, you know, and, you know, we don't we don't do that. And there's something in your soul that sort of it's like, oh, that's that's a good person there. So there's there's two sides to these coins. And it's so hard to come out with a with an answer on either side. So we were just really we, we had to ask because we were curious when you're tackling such a huge issue. You, you got to figure kind of try and get into the mind of someone who's trying to present a point on something like that and what their goals were. So Sure, yeah, and, and I don't I don't even know that uh, I try very hard to not write about things that I sort of have I'm trying to think how to word this that I sort of have a definitive stance on, I guess, you know what right. I'm trying to say? Like because that's when you become preachy, and, and we all know how that feels when you're watching a movie or reading a book or whatever, and it's not Hal Jordan talking to you. It's the writer talking to you through Hal Jordan's mouth or whatever, and they're like you know, telling you exactly what the writer thinks about a given topic, and it's, it's like the comic should come with a hammer so you could hit yourself over the head with it, you know. Uh, like and, and not just comics, film, TV, all right, kinds of things. Like if I wanted to do that style of writing, I'd be writing essays. If you look at the things I've written over the course of my career, even going back to something like The Surrogates, which is a story about technology, or The Homeland Directive, those are both creator-own books I did, which is a story about you know personal privacy versus public safety. These are all debates that I don't necessarily know the answers to, and uh, in some regards, the questions are unanswerable. And as a writer, I don't think it's my job necessarily provide answers so much as to let the readers think about these things and decide what their own answers are for themselves. Now it becomes different when you're writing characters like Green Lanterns and these are established characters that have been around for decades and have personalities and histories and continuities. So, you know, they would behave a certain way. And I just don't see John Stewart being like, uh, okay guys, here's what we're going to do. We go kill all those guys. You know what I mean? Like I just don't see, I don't see that happening. You know, so you oh. you you conform to those kinds of things because they're what makes sense for the characters. You want to be true to those things, uh, but you can still have those philosophical discussions and and raise them in the comics and you know just I don't know maybe make people think about stuff while they're while they're getting their Green Lantern fix. You know. <laughs> I've got another question for you, but I gotta I gotta just comment on that. I I, I have a I have a not a new, but a, an added appreciation to you as a writer for saying that, because I've interviewed Denny O'Neill before, and one of the things he's told me about the Green Lantern Green Arrow series when I asked him about what he thought tackling those social issues at that time and that place, he said one thing that was very important to him and to Neil Adams was to not present 
an answer or a solution because is if if he did if he had an answer he wouldn't be writing comics <laughs> so sure, I, yeah. I, I i appreciate that um one thing i wanted to ask on a book like hal jordan and the green lantern Corps overall as books are dying off and various characters no longer have their home you're suddenly taking in hal john guy kyle and at the beginning of all of that a lot of us were worried you know our favorite characters you mentioned this earlier uh, uh, aren't going to get their time in the spotlight. You know, the 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 time for actual personalization for for character beat over action isn't going to be there. But not only did you do that, you also chose to give like Kilowog and Salak moments. What what were your what was your thought process behind choosing these various lanterns to focus on to give moments over some others? Because you know, Two Six and Goran's son are obviously very important to you as well. So. What, what made you choose the lanterns that you did choose? It just felt like whatever the story needed. You know, the nice thing about the Green Lantern Corps is you have such a huge amount of characters there. And they all have such, you know, cool backgrounds and cool worlds they're from and, and all those kinds of things that when you have the entire core trapped in Brainiac's bottle, you've got somebody like Ratlop Fan that can hit the whole thing like a tuning fork and disrupt Starro's mental control, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. a lot of times those moments just kind of present themselves. With with Tomar too, it was a it was because, you know, there's sort of a theme running throughout all of Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps of this this parent child dynamic, whether it's Hal and his father, Guy and his father Saronic and Sinestro, Zod and his son, the Guardians and how they viewed the Green Lantern Corps as their children, uh, Tomar II and Tomar Ray. It goes on and on and on, you know, the, the parent-child dynamic. And so Tomar II really fit with that more so than any other Lantern would because, you know, he's the son of Tomar Ray. Tomar Ray was Hal's mentor. Hal sort of feels responsible for Tomar II and when Hal goes into the Emerald space and he encounters Tomar Ray there and, you know, Tomar II's mother doesn't want him to be a Green Lantern because that's what got his father killed. You know, Tomar II just really fit a lot of those kind of things that we wanted to do. There's other things I wanted to do that I never really got the time to do. You know, when I introduced Dr. Sava back in the Fall of the Gods arc and we, we said it in a line of dialogue at one point during Zod's will that she used to date Salak. And so I was going to have a whole thing with – you know, she's the new doctor of the Green Lantern Corps, and she's not a lantern, but she's the new doctor. And, like, the reason why Salak is so stoic and so sort of closed off emotionally is because she broke his heart, you know? Like, and he was the kind of guy that was always bringing her roses and, like, you know, <laughs> holding the ghetto blaster up outside her house in all four arms and playing Peter Gabriel, you know? And she broke his heart, and so now he's totally shut down, and that's why he's the way he is. So you, you want to do things like that, too. But you don't always have time because, again, it is a 20-page comic and you've got four leads and the Hal, John, Guile, and Kai fans, you know, they all want to to have their character get their time in the, in the spotlight. So uh, you have to sacrifice certain things. Yeah. Speaking of that, I got to ask, as, a, as a, I'm, you know, we're Lantern fans, period, so it's hard to pick a favorite, but I do, I do enjoy Kyle quite a bit. So I wanted to ask... One thing I've enjoyed about Kyle in the past is, you know, he was always that that guy that didn't want it, never felt really worthy of it. Like, you know, when Hal first shows back up with Jeff when he's doing his rebirth stuff, Kyle tries to say, all right, you're back. I've just been placeholding for you. Like, he doesn't feel worthy of this. So 
you know, the the saying out there is like, you know, the, the people you want to have godlike power are the people who don't want it. So that's mm-hmm. what I've always loved about Kyle. So it makes me curious, and I just I have to ask. I'm not criticizing, but I do have to ask. What what made you decide to take Kyle down from that moment of him being a torchbearer of some kind? Because he was, you know, uh, depending on what happened to those other White Lanterns at the end of the New Guardians run, you know, he was one of the only White Lanterns. So what made you decide to bring him back into the fold? DC told me they wanted him to be a Green Lantern again. Nah, okay. (laughs) All right. Well, I appreciate the the, the answer. And that's fine. I mean, I didn't necessarily have a problem with it. I like the idea of him being a Green Lantern as well and them all being on the same on the same page uh, in terms of that, I, I think it spoke better to what the series was, right. you know, about these four guys being together. And it, it's important, I think for the series, um, it works better if they're all four green lanterns and they all have the same power set and you focus really on just willpower and you see with the same power set, with the same ring that operates in the same way, uh, how do they, use that individually in unique ways that makes each of them the best they are at what they do. I don't think that comparison works as well if Hal's the if I'm sorry, if Kyle's the White Lantern because it's not just Will, now it's all these other things he's got in there as well. So right. um you know, I see Kyle as the most altruistic, which maybe is another way of of describing in a sense what you were saying, you know. I see him as the most altruistic of the group. Uh I tried very hard throughout the series to build conflicts and build moments where they could each shine individually and do what they do best, you know, and Hal is the guts and, and, you know, he has moments where he does things only he could do. I, I don't, I don't see another lantern crafting a ring from their own willpower and becoming will and blowing apart war world or chasing down light ray and a construct jet like, like Hal would, you know, I don't see another lantern thinking their way out of Brainiac's bottle and finding a way to defeat Brainiac and Larflees the way John did. Um, I don't see another lantern creating a construct heart, which is a really intricate device to create that is even theoretical and isn't even real, but he can look at an image and, and create it with his artistic mind and then have the altruism and, and the, the the self-sacrifice to sit there and maintain that construct for as long as it takes without food and without water and without interruption until the conflict is resolved and Orion's real heart can be put back in his chest. Like, that's a Kyle story to me. So I really tried hard to build out moments like that for each of the lanterns to allow each of them to shine and show individually what makes them the best lantern in a certain situation. And I do think that works better if they're all green lanterns and if there's three green lanterns and a white lantern. So when DC came and said that for, you know, various reasons uh, that I won't get into, we want, we want Kyle to be, and they're not negative reasons. They're, uni- they're DC universe wide. Uh, what's the word I'm trying to say here? Story related reasons, right? Mm-hmm. That we want Kyle to be a green lantern again. I didn't push back on it because uh, I did honestly feel it worked better for my story. But it it wouldn't be something that as a writer I would necessarily come out of the gate wanting to do, you know, suggesting to do because that was really Kyle's first. 
he shows up in a series as a White Lantern and very quickly afterward becomes a Green Lantern again. Uh, it wouldn't be my first instinct to do that or to think that they would want that to happen unless there was like a larger, you know, universe-wide sort of implication for it. So, uh, gotcha. you know, but that's to me, uh, that's not a complaint. You know, to me, that's part of the the fun and the challenge. And I say challenge, the, that word can be used negatively, but I say it in a positive way here of working a monthly comics like there's there's different kinds of creativity and there's creator on books and you can do whatever you want and i've done those kinds of things and those are certainly fun to do but there's also when you're working in a shared universe like this and you're you're working with established characters with established continuities in a, in a large-scale universe with a whole lot of stuff going on a whole lot of moving pieces some of the fun and the challenge in that is them coming to you with certain things and you figuring out how to make them work inside a story and sometimes you're more successful than others but it's a different type of creativity to be put in that box and to have to figure your way out of that box. And I find that to be very fun and enjoyable. So uh, I've certainly had some crazy stuff thrown at me over the years. And like I say, sometimes you're more successful with it than you are other times. But it's it's not anything that when I say DC wanted him to be a Green Lantern again, I'm not angry about it or anything like that. That's That's part of what makes the job uh what it is and that's where a lot of the creative things come from sometimes for sure so speaking of dc storyline complex uh not necessarily complications but ramifications and decision making let's say coming from above i've as a a blue lantern guy so yeah i'm gonna you're gonna get your double dose of blue lanterns here uh following that same mindset where your hands somewhat tied or not tied at all to what you could do with St. Walker in the blues in during the Hal in the, Hal in the core run. <laughs> that That's a question I should probably stay away from. Okay. That's, that's fine. That's, that's, a, that's enough of an answer to make me happy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and now uh, we, we, you and I have talked before about our mutual love for St. Walker. So I love St. Walker. Yeah. I mean, I, um, of all the Jeff Johns creations, and of course there's a billion of them, uh, he ranks right up there at the top as my favorite things that he's done because, I don't know, kind of going back to what we were speaking about earlier, I'm a very hopeful person in general, you know. Uh, but I also like his design, you know. I just, I think he's a cool character. I love him, yeah. But you did give him a lot of tough love during your time. <laughs> I did, yeah, sure. I gave him a little squirrel friend though, doesn't that, that, that count? That, that's did he true. have a little, yeah, yeah. He, he did love a little him. familiar that hung out with him? You know what I mean? Uh, no, I did. You know, I did for sure. And oh, where that, do I begin with that character? kind of stuff? But was that the Bill character uh, for him? No, it was. It was a character arc for him to have him lose hope and then gain his hope back. You know, as he did in the in the godhead storyline you know and in that moment where he gets his hope back and it's a it's a big event uh you know that was something that i knew i was building towards you know let's say i was much i'm much happier with the way um the stories turned out on how jordan the green lantern corps not in every instance but in a lot of instances that i was with the stuff i was able to do in the new 52 and I mean, that's okay. When I started writing Green Lantern, I'd have to go back and count, so I don't know the exact number, but it's a ballpark number that maybe I'd written a dozen issues of, of comic books in my entire life, and they would have been Exo Man of War and like a couple of issues of Demon Knights. 
and then I'm taking over Green Lantern for Jeff Johns. You know what I'm trying to say? Right. That was so, a daunting challenge by anybody. I mean, sure. And I knew that going in, and immediately you're faced with the idea of: Do you want to accept this challenge, or do you want to be the guy sitting at the bar, always wondering what's if, what if, because you played it safe, you know? But there was a lot that I didn't know about writing comics, writing in the DC universe, writing Green Lantern, any of those sorts of things. Coming in after the one writer who definitely knew the most about Green Lantern, but probably knew the most about the entire DCU, and had also written hundreds of comics. So if you look at Green Lantern 21, and you look at Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps 50, I mean, I, and maybe it's my biased opinion, but I would hope an objective opinion would see a growth and a maturation of me as a writer over that time. And that that's what it's about, you know, that everything I sit down and I do, I want to improve and become better on the other end of it than I was when I started because it's art. You're never going to have all the answers. You're never going to reach, you know, peak level. It's always a case of, of improving and getting better at it because there is no solution for it. It's, it's, it's a, it's story, you know? So do I wish that, I could go back and do some things differently in the new 52. Sure. But I don't want to go back and take those bricks out of the wall because if I take those bricks out of the wall, the whole wall comes down. So ultimately I'm very happy with where I ended up after 85 issues. And for somebody, you know, and and of course there's people out there who say, you know, they hated uh, lights out or whatever, and they'll never read another Robert Vendetti comic again as long as they live. And okay, I guess that's fine. You know, <laughs> what can I do about that? But uh, to me, that's almost like uh, if you're at a job and somebody's been doing this job for 10 years and you're the new hire who comes in to do that job, and like on your third day, somebody walks over your cubicle and goes, You suck! <laughs> <laughs> just like, well, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. You know, I just Thanks got for stopping here. by. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, uh, I, I, you know what I'm trying to say? Yes. Like, yeah. It, it, so uh, I don't have hard feelings towards that. I understand how it is, and it, it's, it's fine. But um, nobody's harder on me than, than I am when it comes to my writing. And I think most writers, and I'm sure artists and everybody else are that way as well. But – all you can do is hope that you learn and you grow and you be better. And I do feel I did that over the course of it. And uh, I'm very proud of, of where we ended up with Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps. And I could not have gotten there without Green Lantern 21 and every issue in between. So um, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> no, it does. It does. We're going to frame. Good. Yeah, we're going to frame these next few and sort of. Not a rapid-fire format like, you know, just one-word answer, let's move on. But just just so we can get a few of these out, because these are some of some questions that we personally had that we wanted to make sure we asked you before we had to let you go. So I was going to ask, and we're, we're not going to turn this into a, why didn't you do this? Because the character's been around for 75-plus years. <laughs> There's a billion things you didn't do that you could have done, <laughs> that any writer could have done. But question for you, 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 you had... The Orange Lanterns there towards the beginning of your run. You did a lot with the Yellow Lanterns. Uh, you had St. Walker and all this stuff. <sighs> did you have plans for, did you have an idea for an Indigo story? Because it seems like they're, they're, they're a core that we just haven't seen in a long time. So I'm just curious if you had had an idea. Yeah, gosh, that. we're going deep into the vault here. But back there in the New 52, I want to say that there was an idea for a 
a Green Lantern core story that would involve the Indigo Lanterns, and that was coming out of Godhead, or it might even have been one of the other books that was going to deal with the Indigo Lanterns, uh, the Indigo Tribe. I'm sorry, but you know, because when we when we left Godhead, it was kind of open. Uh, you know, the situation there that we the way that we left it with the Indigo Lantern, with the Indigo Tribe, and Godhead. There was a potential for some conflict there, and I want to say one of those other books was going to do something with the Indigo Tribe, but I don't know what happened there. You know, that would be to ask the other writers, and I don't even know which one it was. I can't even recall. But it was nothing that I was ever going to do in the in the Green Lantern title. Um, but I want to say it was something that was going to happen somewhere else. Gotcha, gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, because we we kind of missed the Indigo Tribe. Even though they did, even though they did stab everybody in the back in Godhead, but that kind of made them curious to see when they were going to show up next and how everybody was going to react to them. Uh, Didn't they show up in the Sinestro book they or something? Did, they like did. Monk, Monk got killed, yeah, right? When, when Lobo and, was yeah. when Lobo was collecting rings for Sinestro. Yeah, there they, you go. They, that was yeah. that is true. That's yeah. the only other appearance that they showed yeah. up in. Uh, yeah. Here's here's an here's an easy one for you. Uh, can you tell? Can you tell listeners the simple pleasure and satisfaction and just overall fun of writing Guy Gardner? <laughs> oh yeah, you know when they when they first asked me about um, uh, writing Hal Jordan the Green Lantern Corps, I knew it was a risky proposition, right? Because in some ways it was going to be the book nobody wanted, written by the writer that they already didn't like. You know what I mean? So. Because nobody wanted – I knew that everybody was going to be mad that it wasn't just a John book or just a Kyle book or just a Hal book. Nobody's going to mad, be mad it's just a, not just a Guy book because even Guy Gardner fans don't expect that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, the, so when they came to me about writing the book, um, I wanted to stay on it. you know, And I kind of, I kind of feel like I put up my career sort of in that basket you know like i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna try to prove that i can write these characters and you know i've learned what i've learned during the new 52 this is a fresh start let me let me show what i can do with these characters and so the one that i had no interest in writing not that i said this to them but in my head i was like what am i gonna do with guy gardner like i cannot stand that character you know he's such an idiot he always is doing idiotic things and acting like such a jerk then i really sat down and started to think about why would he be this way what what could cause him to be this way you know why is he such a jerk and what i ultimately came around to is he wants you to punch him in the face and it's for two reasons on one level he thinks he deserves to be punched in the face because he suffered abuse by his father and once you've been treated that way by your own parent if your own parent thinks you deserve a punch in the face, then everybody must think you deserve to be punched in the face. But on the other hand, like he has such a low opinion of himself, like he thinks that's kind of the only thing he's good at is getting punched in the face and taking that punch. So at least he can walk into a room and pick fights and make sure that you're punching him because if you're punching him, you're not punching any of his friends. I find that to be incredibly noble and heroic in its own weird, self-loathing way, you know? And so he actually became a character that I enjoyed writing immensely throughout the course of the series. And he got to the point where he almost writes himself. Like he just shows up and just starts doing stuff. You just get out of his way and let him do it, you know? Um, and then having fun with the constructs he makes. You know, he makes a construct car so he can slam somebody's 
head in the door or whatever, you know. He can do so so many of these fun things, but he's an essential part of that that four man group that I that as as guy would say the four corpsmen, you know, that they are all stronger together than they are individually, and he's a big part of that. So. Um, while I didn't start out being a Guy Gardner fan, I'm a huge Guy Gardner fan now, and uh, I would love to write that character again someday. You did a great job of Guy Gardner. Guy Gardner, I think, Guy, your Guy Gardner, I mean, you, you did a very good job in the Hal and the, and the Green Lantern Corps book. I would say, your guy, I think Guy stands out to me as the character that, that just when I'm thinking of your run, I kind of think just Guy, just because of the, you did a, you just captured the essence of Guy, which is really interesting based on what you said when you kind of were ner- like, we're not looking forward to doing that at all. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I, and I, I, I call that a huge win. And, you know, there definitely have been people that have reached out to me on social media or come up to me at conventions many, many times, you know, not just Guy Gardner fans who would say, hey, man, thanks for what you're doing with Guy Gardner, but people who can, a lot of people who come to me and say, I hated Guy Gardner. Now, like, I love Guy Gardner. And to me, uh, you know, in some ways, uh, it's an unattainable goal. But to me, one of the the hopes for the series would be that if you came into it just being a Hal Jordan fan, you would see how much Hal Jordan loves and respects John Guy and Kyle. And if the character you love feels that way about these characters, then it's okay for you to feel that way about these characters too, you know? And it goes for all of them, you know, for the John fans and the Kyle fans and the Guy fans. So for people to come to me and say that they never liked Guy Gardner until they read this series, now they really like Guy Gardner, or they never really liked John Stewart until this series, but now they like John Stewart, uh, I think that's great. And, you know, I'm, happy, I'm pleased with that. So here's a deep question for you. What, what do you think or what do you hope was your will be your greatest contribution to the Green Lantern mythos of the stuff of all during your entire run from on both books so far? I think what I just said, you know, to me it was it was a book about these four guys and that had never really happened before that these four characters had been in one book for that extended amount of time, you know. And so to me, if you came and read this book, you know, during this run, you didn't just read about Hal Jordan. You read about all these characters. And, you know, I grew up with – I've said this, you know, many times. So I don't know. Your listeners may have already heard me say this on a panel or in another interview somewhere or something. But I grew up with another three guys, and we're all very close still to this day. And – in that group, there's a guy, there's a Hal, there's a John, there's a Kyle, you know? <laughs> and uh, for me to write these four characters throughout the series, a lot of times it just felt like me and my three friends hanging out and talking to each other and responding to things the way that we would talk about things and respond to them. Well, the thing about having really good friends, I think, is that what, what makes somebody a really good friend of yours is you see qualities in them that you admire that you you don't have in yourself. So I was always the John. You know, when we were younger, uh, the parents would pull me aside before we would go out, and they would all say, "Rob, make sure everybody stays out of trouble." You know, and I'd be like, "I'm 12. What would you like me to do?" You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was always that way, you know. But there's a guy who is in the group who is a Hal, and he's he's not an egotistical guy. Um, you know, he's not full of himself. He's not a jerk or any of those things, but he's the kind of guy that if he walked into a crowded room within a half hour, everybody would be talking to him. 
and he doesn't even try to make it happen. It's just he has this natural charisma, and people are just drawn to him. You know, and I always admired that about him, the way that he was able to be that way, because I was always so quiet and so, uh, you know, muted by comparison. And and so to me, that's what makes friendships work. You know, you admire things in them, and that's the way I feel these characters are. I think that. Hal sees qualities in John and Guy and Kyle that he wishes he had in himself, and Guy certainly sees qualities in the other three that he wishes he had in himself, and it goes for all four of them. So if I wanted somebody to take something away from the series, it would be that this, these are guys, four guys that are really good friends. They're all very different in, in the way they approach being a hero, but they're all very good uh, heroes with story careers in and of themselves. Any one of them could stand on their own but they chose to be together as a group because they're stronger together than they are individually, and they love and admire and respect each other. And that's as good a note as any to end on your, your run-on. So we're going to ask one last question about your upcoming stuff so you can promote your, your new works. For fans out there who are listening to the show, if you want to follow Robert, go read Hawkman. I'm telling you as a reader of Hawkman because if you want uh, just a, one, a one-pitch reason to read it, Hawkman continuity is historically royally messed over. And DC themselves have said in various historical books that they agree with it. That's why there's been so many attempts to try and fix it. Robert Venditti himself swaggered into the room and fixed it in issue one. (laughs) So if you want to read Hawkman, that's a reason to do it. So, Robert, why don't you talk about Hawkman? Why don't you talk about your upcoming uh, graphic novel over at Vertigo? Sure. Yeah, I appreciate what you said. You know, I to me, like we were saying earlier, some of the challenges figuring your way out of boxes and putting the puzzle pieces together in monthly comics, and I enjoy that aspect of it—the curveballs and, and all those kinds of things. I didn't know a lot about Hawkman, but except to know that he had the reputation for the continuity issues that you had just said, and he was sort of the ultimate puzzle. So that was enormously attractive to me to be able to work on a character that was known to be. Uh, unfixable and to try to see if I could come up with a way to fix it uh, for you to think and say that I did uh, thank you very much I appreciate that <laughs> hey the fans uh, can say whatever they want but I put that issue down and went wow <laughs> whether it works or not for various fans it doesn't matter you tried <laughs> it seems to be going pretty well so far uh, you know but we'll, we'll see we're, at, we're only on issue three right now but uh, you know, basically, it's 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 high adventure. It's Indiana Jones meets National Treasure meets superhero, and Carter All has a very long, complicated past. He realizes that he's been reincarnating across time and space. So in past lives, he wasn't just an ancient Egyptian prince here on Earth. He was also the Thanagarian version, Katar Hole. He's been a Kryptonian. He's been a Ranian. He's been many other things that we'll come to find out. Greenland. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he is a. Uh, he has he's on a, an adventure to uncover his own past, following clues left by himself throughout history, so that he could he can stop this great threat uh, that's coming. I'm working on it with Brian Hitch, uh, who's just a phenomenal artist and a phenomenal storyteller, brings so much of his own creativity to the title. Uh, just a great collaborator to work with. Uh, in terms of story and in terms of art, in terms of everything. So I'm really happy to be working on that uh, project. And then the Vertigo graphic novel I have coming out is called Six Days. It is a based on a true story about uh, my uncle, who was a paratrooper in the 2nd Airborne. 
He jumped out of a plane on D-Day. He was part of this small group of paratroopers that were the worst misdrops of all of D-Day. They ended up in this small French town called Granier uh, that was sort of the one patch of high ground in this swamp, and they decided to stay there and wait for the American front to arrive. But by staying there, they were occupying the one patch of high ground that an entire German panzer division needed to go through in order to get to Carentan and reinforce the German lines. So this small group of uh, American paratroopers were in this town for six days uh, with this with these French villagers, and it's about the paratroopers and the villagers uh, working together, living together, and ultimately facing uh, combat together and sort of tells the story of those things. That will be out uh, in May of next year, um, in part, uh, you know, to, to be in time with the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Nice. Awesome. Very interesting. Well, we wanted to thank you on behalf of ourselves as well as our listeners and other Green Lantern fans for coming on and talking to us. And not only that, but for being a steward of Green Lantern for as long as you have. I mean, people can – uh, ourselves included can say what they want positive or negative about various issues arcs it doesn't matter but the 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 entire point is you were a steward and a caretaker of these characters and these concepts that we love so much and we want to thank you so much for what you did and the stuff that you contributed and and added to the mythos i appreciate it it's very good of you guys to say uh if there was ever a point uh, at some point over this 85-issue run that you reached over the top of the cubicle and yelled at me that I suck, uh, <laughs> you are forgiven for it. No, uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. I feel so fortunate to have been on characters like this uh, for as long as I have been to be able to do the things I was able to do. And, uh, you know, I'm a dad and my son goes to school and tells his friends that his dad writes Green Lantern and they can't even believe that that's true. So uh, it's 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 been a really fun ride for me. I will always look back on it fondly. Uh, I hope it's not the last time that these characters ever wander through anything that I've done for DC. Uh, but if it is, I was blessed to be able to do as much as I did. And I thank you guys and, and all the readers and all the fans, uh, whether they – thought good of stories or thought bad of stories i appreciate you giving the stuff a chance and, and reading it over and uh you know hopefully watching me grow as a writer uh throughout the entire run for sure now you just gotta teach your son and his friends the hawkman's cool <laughs> hawkman's <laughs> apparently cool come on what's not cool about hawkman you know? anybody with that much chest hair has got to be cool you know? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for coming back on. And you've always been really, really kind to Chad and I whenever we reach out to you. So we we also greatly appreciate that. And thanks for coming on and helping wrap up your – wrapping up your run and going out in grand fashion. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Robert. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice in sea, on land, in air. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. The Fire and Water Podcast, celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. 
Available at Fire and Water Podcast, Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? It's bad enough. I have to put up with your shenanigans every... All right, guys. We're back from break. And that was Robert Venditti. What do you think, Mark? It was well worth the wait. That's right. That's right. No pun intended um, there. No, no reading between the lines. We just mean from the from the very beginning when we've kind of have aspired to get Robert Venditti, and we had a few false starts kind of here and there along the way, but it was worth it. And, and we got and we did get it at pretty much the time I think ideally. If you couldn't, ideally, it would, you know what would really would be interesting if we could have got him at the beginning and the end, <laughs> just so you have the comparison. True. But if you couldn't, then getting somebody, I think, at the end of their run is the exact best time to interview them. Because then you, then not just because everything's on the table, but just because that way they can also be a little more reflective on on their time on the book. Yeah, there have been times, of course, guys. You know, you know me. I love interviews. It's what I it's what I live for on this podcast. It's what part of what keeps me going is uh, the ability to do interviews, go to cons and stuff like that. Um, so I, I love it. I've communicated with, with Robert in the past, you know, on Twitter and been like, hey, you want to come on the show? And he's always been willing to. It was just a matter of he, he directed us towards D.C. It's got to go through D.C. first. And it's been a while. You know, it, it was kind of hard finding the right people to reach out to through D.C. I didn't want to contact, you know, fellow podcasters for, you know, information on D.C. It just seemed weird. I tried, tried to get it through legitimate means, you know. So, you know, when we finally got uh, Gabriel Hardman and, and Karina Becco on to talk about Earth One, that was our first official DC contact. And, you know, uh, having those right channels is really important. So bringing Robert on was, was awesome. They, they were contacting us for there for a little while during the Dark Stars arc and saying, hey, you wanna, do you want to help promote 43 or 47 or anything like that? But the plan was always 50, and we didn't, well, we didn't want to get in a situation where we were like, interviewing him for 47 and asking for hints about 48 49 and 50 and you know <laughs> so the end of the run is perfect because everything's out he can there's 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 no stone we can't un- overturn and, and look under so that was a lot of fun i really enjoyed it yes it was the timing things happen for a reason and it was a very it was a very interesting Look behind the curtain. He was he was pretty straightforward, which is what we kind of expected. And maybe in a few for a few questions, maybe gave us a little was a little more straightforward probably than we thought, which was good. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And 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 that's a good transition as any. I mean, the interview was always going to be intended to be talking about fifty, talking about his last arc, and ruminating on his time on the title. So the interview was part promotion for the last issue and also part retrospective. So Mark and I wanted to take some time after the interview, reflect on the interview itself, some of the stuff he said, and sort of use that as a jumping off point to not talk a lot. We're not going to be uh, taking up any more of your time. This has already been a, a, a longer episode uh, than you're used to lately. So we're going to, but we're going to talk a bit about some of his answers and some of the stuff we remember about his time on the run. Just, Nah, real loosey goosey, you know. We're just we're just gonna let things lead where we lead where they go. And I think a, I think a good place to start is uh, Mark. We we wanted to ask 
uh, one of the questions we were going to ask was about the emotional reservoir. Uh, and I decided, because I was going to ask that, I decided to let that lie because what he was talking about when he said, you know, your first few days on the job and someone <laughs> stands up and says, you suck. Uh, not that we were saying that, but I think if you and I were to, uh, well, you know what? I don't want to speak for you. If I were to pick a point during his run where I was most upset by something, it probably would have been the idea of an emotional reservoir. I, I don't, I don't like that. I didn't like it then. I don't think we were screaming to the heavens that he sucked, <laughs> but at the same time, it wasn't something that really sat well with me at the time. Um, but you know, th- I, I think defending that is sort of pointless. <laughs> I think asking about it, why did you do this is sort of rude. Uh, especially after hearing that. Um, but at the same time, you know, <sighs> No writer is going to do something that everybody everywhere likes. We're talking comic book fandom. <laughs> Someone's going to be upset by something. So sitting there and taking your time that you have with a creator to ask them not only why did they do something uh, that they did, but why did you do this thing that I, <laughs> I can't stand <laughs> just seems like a waste of time. And it seems like a waste of energy. He he liked it. He liked the idea. He made an arc out of it. Uh, and it set the tone for his series going forward for a while. So it just seemed sort of pointless to, to ruminate on it and harp on it because there were so many other things that he did that were enjoyable, were cool. And he was finally remembering his time on the series. I think that yeah, – I mean – I'm sure he didn't do this for the, for that desired effect, but it was, but it, it certainly was effective. Every it kind of did kind of make us go awe when he was saying some of these things. It's like it's like a, oh the characters the, the characters you don't you don't want to see written by the guy the guy you hate to see writing it writing them or something like that. And it's like oh god, it's like oh. But, but, yeah, I don't I don't think we were ever in. It's not like we were in the. You know, behind every decision Robert Venditti makes camp, but I don't think we were ever in the hate Robert Venditti camp either. No, but I think, to be fair, which we always try to be. Yeah, of course, and that's why I'm bringing this up. I don't want to. I I don't want to hide behind this interview thinking, oh, we were all positive, and you know, (laughs) everything we ever said about the the series is is now uh, past. We never said it. You know what I mean? No, I know, but. where I wanted to go with this first was I think I under I think I understood specifically where he was going with that idea that oh you, know, you basically the guy you don't want writing these characters because I think he's I think at that point he's talking about how many people naturally assumed and we were we were two of them that when they were doing Rebirth and because the Green Lantern book was not doing gang bucks busters at, at a, from a sales perspective at the time and they were st- and based on where they were I think a lot of people had the expectation also that there probably was going to be a new writer for the for the whatever for the Hal Jordan in the core book or whichever whatever whichever book was going to feature Hal Jordan that there was going to be a new writer so I think yeah, purely from a sales perspective right of course. so I thought yeah. so I, I think he's kind of, he was at least partially kind of alluding to that the fact that People were really surprised that he was sticking around, let alone now getting all the toys to play with. And while we kind of realized that this was going to be like a put-up-or-shut-up moment because he was going to have 
he kind of re- and the, even during the interview, I think he kind of referenced that that he did have more. That I think that he, I think that's part of the why he enjoyed. I don't think he necessarily directly said it, but part of why he probably enjoyed and was and liked his run on Hal and the Core, not just because obviously he's more experienced and he had, and he's a better writer now. But I think that he that his hands were tied a lot less overall based on who characters he could use. Yeah, and we said that when the news was announced. I mean, and you said you said the words "put up or shut up." I think we actually exactly said that. You know, at, at that point, we we heard that he was going to be keeping it, and for better or for worse, whatever our reaction was of that news, we also said now he's got all the toys. This is his chance to prove himself. And yeah, you're right. Uh, Hal Jordan. If, if we're doing our retrospective here, it, it's Hal Jordan in the Green Lantern Corps is definitely the better of the two runs within his entire run. Right. And again, even even factoring in the X factors of his hands were were certainly tied to a certain his hands. He, we know his his, ta- his hands were very tied. Let's be honest. At the end. Of his run on Green Lantern because of the fact that in Cullen's Sinestro book really was dictating what was going on in, in the Green Lantern franchise at the time, which was still odd, but it but it was. I mean that's so even the whole Renegade, which was another question I had maybe for another day about the, about Renegade Hal and where he where he actually saw that going and or how much it was cut off at the knees again pretty much by the re, by Rebirth by Sinestro by what was going on in Sinestro and then obviously Rebirth. That at the end of his book, yeah, he was really he was really limited. I think in the beginning he had a lot more free reign, especially because he was writing Green Lantern. Then he, for a while he was writing Green Lantern Corps with Van Jensen, and at the very least he was kind of like steering the ship with Van Jensen for a long time, even when Van Jensen was still actually writing the issues. So, for me, if we're looking at the low point, I don't like I don't like the Reservoir. I don't yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to be a Reservoir guy. And I did have a question, like you you know what it is that I was going to ask if we had a little bit more time in the interview, but it wasn't critical at that point too. I think again, basically, I think we addressed the stuff that was mostly important to us anyway at the time. But I don't think the emotional, the reservoir stuff is the stuff that I don't think that was the low point. To me, that was the Durlands. <laughs> I think Uprising was the low point just because it went on forever, and it, and it just wasn't all that enthralling to me. Uh, but but they are tied together because one, because you kind of had the beginning, you know, the hints of the first part of Uprising in a way, even before we got into, got into Lights Out, and it was, and it's what took place almost immediately after. But he definitely his stories got overall. I think it's fair to say, regardless of how you want to or any explanation or justification for why this is the, the way it is, the stories that he told in Hal and the Core were absolutely far superior overall to, to the stories that he did in Green Lantern. Yeah, and I think I think he acknowledged that a lot in this interview. You know, I, I felt really good about that interview. I was, you know, worried that, uh, you know, any negativity could come across as attacking him or anything like that. I didn't want to do that. But I think, you know, he, he himself brought up the fact that he was, a, <laughs> excuse the pun, he was a greenhorn. Yep. When he when he started on that title and, uh, you know, he was finding his feet, not just uh, not just with the, the, the property, but as a writer. So, I, I mean, I think that's that's something that people should ourselves included, you know, look back on and remember as you uh, do your own retrospective of Robert Venditti's time on that title. 
is at the beginning, you know, he was just starting out and, you know, you mentioned it too in the interview, Mark, you know, he's following in the footsteps of Jeff Johns himself. <laughs> who yeah, is I mean, when you, a huge Green Lantern fan. Yeah, the Green – that cannot – no matter what you think of Robert's run overall, whether you're consistent and, you know, and that you don't – that your opinion hasn't changed all that much, pro or con, or you've evolved one way or the other, the reality is it cannot be overstated how how daunting that was, that you have – as the, as the saying goes for sports, usually you'd rather be the man that follows the man that follows the man than being the man that follows the man because that's where all the pressure is. It's like if you don't want to be like – like you don't want to be the – even though it's worked – ironically, it's worked out fine for the Yankees, mind you. But in theory – but you didn't want to be the guy that – you didn't want to be the guy following Derek Jeter at shortstop because he's a legend. Now, D.D. Gregorius has done quite well, so it hasn't really been a factor. But historically speaking, you'd rather be the guy you play shortstop – after the guy that plays shortstop, after Derek Jeter, because the pressure is completely off, and you're not, and you you don't have the ultimate standard to live up to, of the, and not, and, and we know some people hate Jeff Johns, and, and even even the people who don't, I think, were included, acknowledge that the first part of uh, Jeff Johns' run, kind of in contrast to Robert Venditti, that the first part, three quarters of Jeff Johns' run on Green Lantern was much better than the last, than the way it wrapped up overall. Not talking, and about that's it. part. And, and Jeff himself, I think, in one interview somewhere, acknowledged that that's one of the reasons he's he left. I mean, his 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 duties were increasing, obviously, but also I think that he just, you know, he he like Robert had spent so much time with his title and was sort of Burned running out. out of steam. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think I so I think that, but it, that was a daunting task, and like he said, he knew that going in. And it's and again, do you do you want to rise? Do you want to rise up to the challenge, or do you just, or do you just want to like, nah, I'll pass? And a lot of people, even who, even if you were a good writer, I had some confidence in, in yourself. Even a lot, a lot, I think a good many people would have been a little, at the very least, reluctant to take that job because, I mean, Jeff Johns had revitalized that franchise so much and had made it so big that that's. You could make a case that was like almost a no-win situation for whoever, unless you're another huge name, unless you, let's say, you were like a Grant Morrison type at the time, following Jeff Johns, it was going to be a real challenge. I mean, it was, that was like he described it, challenge. I mean, that 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 that's tough. And so, but he took that on, and I think you have, and he knew that and he knew, you know, he knew that he was going to catch some hell from that for multiple reasons, like you mentioned too, the fact that he knew, besides the fact that. You know, he wasn't that overall that experienced in doing monthly books and things like that. So to do that and to be taking over such a big franchise that had that still was now it had been a few years removed from its peak, but it still was you know it still had not bottomed out to where you know it kind of has turned out over the years previously, Johns and now even after. That was tough, and you know you have to respect the fact that he was willing to take on the challenge, and whether you liked the direction he took the book or not, in right away that he was willing. And you got to give DC a little bit of credit for this too, because to be a little ballsy to do the lights out stuff, because that really was complete a complete changeover to what had been established before. Now, yes, it wasn't as dramatic as oh, I'm going to wipe out the entire emotional spectrum. That would have been something else, but he was changing stuff really quickly, and you could see what and and you got you got to give him credit for that too because if he just played it timid the whole time we wouldn't remember it. I mean it's it's 
for better or worse, you know, cause, cause he was right. You know, there were some people out there who, when lights out happened, were vehemently against it. I mean, I'm talking writing angry messages all over social media, freaking the F out. Were we, were we happy with you and I are happy with the results of lights out? No, but I mean, these people had like a whole new level <laughs> of seriously upset. For better or worse, however you feel about Lights Out, it's better than him just playing it safe the whole time. He took a chance and said, you know what? I'm in charge of this. DC gave these reins to me. And he must have, I mean, we didn't ask him, but I, I would assume anybody put in that position with as little experience as he himself admitted he had would be like, it's time to put up or shut up. So whether you agree or not with his decision, he made a choice and went balls to the wall with it. I mean, that that's that's something to be admired. Yes, and and I think he has every right he has every right overall to be proud to be proud of his run, I think. And especially the, one of the things I found really refreshing, I mean, he's a pretty straight shooter and he's a pretty easy guy to talk to, so we we appreciated that of course too. But the fact that he you know, he not even though it just opened the door for questions in a way. I'm sure Chad was thinking the same thing that he just opened the door for us thinking in our heads when he pretty much openly acknowledged that that he that there are things he wished he would, could do go back and do a little different. If he could go back in time, you know, there are things knowing what he knows now. There are some things that he would have done differently. At you know, without he just would have done some things differently in his new 52 run let's put it that way so of course for me i'm thinking exactly what that exactly meant you know what what things that he did that he would undo like what or he would alter knowing you know but i understood but of course his point was valid it's you know it's like you're you just can't take out like jenga or whatever you have to be careful taking those pieces out of the wall or else the whole thing's going to collapse now anyway but but it was it but it was interesting that you would that that we know there are some people that were just even if they they would never really acknowledge they do anything wrong or try to sugarcoat it, at least in public. You know, maybe behind the scenes they would say, "Oh yeah, that was I wish that was stupid. I shouldn't have done that," but would never publicly publicly admit it. And you know, he was pretty straight. He was straightforward on that front too, admitting that you know, even if it was just the benefit of maybe maybe how he would write things a little differently, even if it wasn't that the direction necessarily would change dramatically, but just acknowledging that there are things that he kind of would do differently. You know, if he could have, you know. Kind of like if I know if I knew then what I know now that kind of thing. So. Yeah. And another question I wanted to ask, guys, if you've been listening to the show for a while, uh, you know this. But if you if you're new to the show, if you're coming from, you know, a retweet that uh, Robert Javinditti said or something like that, one thing I really like to ask when we have people on the show, creators, especially writers, is how they define a character. If they had Hal in their custody, how do you define Hal? Because a lot of people will give you the basic, you know, he's a cocky test pilot, you know, that's that's all well and good. But I think we all know that. So I always ask for a little bit more. You know, how do you define these people? And I thought it was really great. I didn't even have to ask that question. Like he went about it in his own way and answered that when he told us that the things that he did with these various characters. And he was largely focusing, of course, on his Hal and the core run, which I, I mean, I think you and I are both in agreement as the better part of it. Not only that, but I think he agrees, too, because of what he said. Uh, so he's just really fondly remembering that that aspect of it. Those moments in that title that happened could have only happened 
to those specific characters. And I really liked that answer. Uh, you know, Kyle is the only one <laughs> who could have done the impossible with such an intricate, you know, uh, willpower and focus and, and creativity with that heart. Uh, John is the only one who could have tactically fought himself and the core out of that situation in Brainiac's uh, shrunken cities, like, and so on and so forth. Like, if, if anybody was going to outrace the speedster of the new gods <laughs> through space, it was going to be Hal. I mean, who else do we look at in the core and go, who could do the impossible? If anybody could do the impossible, who's going to be? Yep. Hal. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, of course, when you mentioned later on, when you asked about Guy, I mean, he mentioned that he didn't like Guy at the beginning, but... After a while, it was like Guy sort of wrote himself, and I, I understand what he's saying there. It's almost like you're, you've got the rest of the story sort of let's, – let's say for argument's sake, you've got the rest of the story mapped out. And you're like, all right, what am I going to do with Guy here? And then you just look at the story and go <laughs> – you can almost hear Guy's voice in your head going, there's, well, there's only one thing Guy would do in this situation. <laughs> so why even bother trying to think of something like – off the wall or something different. Like if guy writes himself, he almost demands to do the thing that you would expect guy to do. <laughs> and I, one of the reasons I, I mean, one of the, to be fair, one of the reasons I asked that question is I knew, I do remember this. I don't remember where exactly I, I, I read this, but I do, I do know, I had known that he was a little, not just unfamiliar with Guy, but he was a little reluctant to do Guy. So, And I've also known that he said that how much he enjoys writing Guy now. So that was one of the reasons I wanted to ask that question, just so we could hopefully explain it the way he did, which was kind of talk about the metamorphosis of the transition from going from like, oh, God, I, I don't want to think about writing this character. So, wow, I, I can't wait to write this character. <laughs> or I don't have to write this character because he does it himself. That I wanted, I just wanted because I know he, that he enjoyed writing the character, so I wanted to see if, if he could bring, if he, and he did, which a plus for us and him <laughs> to express the, just the, you know, the, the real emotional satisfaction of writing it of he gets from writing a character, and because it certainly comes, it it certainly is conveyed in his writing, because that's why, like I like I said to him that I think God, I think his guy is so has been so strong. And during this whole book, that it's you know, one of the things that I, I will think about this book the most is the way he, uh, the way he wrote Guy. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, is there anything else about the interview we wanted to touch on before we move into the largely retrospective part of it? For you, was his answer what you were expecting about your Kyle turning green question? <laughs> you know, uh, I suspected uh, of. Of all the things he did on that run, I suspected that Kyle going green. If like if you were if you were to at, tell me to pick a top five of moves that happened during Robert Venditti's tenure on the title that were editorial driven more than creator driven, changing Kyle from White Lantern to Green Lantern would have been in the top five. So it wasn't surprising to me. Um, and you guys know. My favorite story, of course, one of one of my favorite stories in Green Lantern history is that Power of Ion story, where Kyle first, for the first time, becomes Ion and essentially gets godlike power. And you know how much I love that, how much it, not just for the act, the action, but how much it defines Kyle 
how much it defines the various characters involved. So because that is one of my favorite stories, I naturally enjoy when Kyle is a torchbearer of some kind. So even though it was an editorial decision, I wasn't necessarily happy with the idea of Kyle going back to being a Green Lantern only, because to me, Kyle is forevermore a torchbearer of some kind. However, when he became a Green again, I saw, of course, that what sort of what they were going for. Now, of course, in terms of what DC's plans for the reasons for doing this, Anybody can speculate. We can talk about that upcoming. What's the what's it called again, Mark? You got to give me more. The 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 upcoming thing with Kyle. Oh, Heroes in Crisis. Yes, Heroes in Crisis. We can we can speculate about what's going to happen to Kyle and that, and and you know these things are thought of relatively pretty far in advance. So maybe they were thinking about that back then. Who knows? You can do all that, but at the time. Part of the reasoning is you, you, you think – you see Kyle, he comes back as a Green Lantern, not only in a Green Lantern title, but in a title that features not just Hal, but Guy and John. And what does that give you flashbacks to? That gives you flashbacks to the Green Lantern core title when like him and Guy were palling around as Green Lanterns and so on and so forth. That was fun. That was stuff that a lot of people remembered. So that opportunity for characterization – for him to hang with his buddies again, that that was very cool. But at the same time, I'm being at, at that time I'm being torn and pulled in two different directions. I want my Kyle to be the torchbearer Kyle, but I also see what they're trying to do here and the sense that it makes to bring Kyle back into the fold. So when he answered that, quite frankly, I'm just glad he answered it the way he did because he said that. It made more sense. It was less complicated. It would, I, I, and I, ha, I mean, if if I'm going to take an objective view here, I have to agree with him. I mean, it it, it would have been more complicated. It would have been more more hoops to jump through if Kyle was still a White Lantern in all of this. And in a way, depending on the stories you want to tell, it almost uh, makes Kyle too OP. Overpowered, like you know, in, in, in a situ- if if Kyle's still the White Lantern and his tenure and experience as that, some of the situations they get themselves into could have could be easily overcome. Or if they're not, you're sitting there going, "There's Kyle. Why didn't he just fix it all?" So you know, I have to. I I mean, regardless of my feelings about Kyle being a torchbearer of some kind. If I'm going to sit here and look at it critically and objectively, it made sense. And I'm glad he answered it the way he did. And he was direct. I mean, even even my Blue Lantern question, which was an indirect answer, but still. <laughs> that was kind of a telling answer, you would suspect, uh, about – the, about his hands again. He could have he could have avoided that answer. He could have answered that question a different way. He could have also done what we know a lot of people do is just say deny deny it. You know you know you know what I mean. Just say mm-hmm. uh, absolutely not. No, that was just me. Even if you know that what you're saying is not true because you, you're doing the company line. That he, he I kind of had. It's funny because if it wasn't for the fact that we were running out of time, I almost I w- almost wanted to say this to him at the time, but. We were trying to stay on focus at this point, getting 
shorter questions, that when you ask a question like that, the danger always is that somebody's going to answer the question so definitively and say no that, and do it in such a way that you feel so stupid to even ask the question. <laughs> but, but not only didn't he do that, he actually answered the question the way I was hoping all along is how he would answer it, which is not saying, yes, they tied my hands, but kind of implying with his denial, with his non-answer, that it wasn't entirely all his doing. Let's put it that way. So, uh, and, I, and, I, and I didn't even have to ask about Doomsday Clock. I, I, the original question was going to be asked, I think, specifically about Doomsday Clock, and I think I just asked whether DC kind of, re- re- you know, whether he, they limited his use of St. Walker and the Blues. Just DC doing it, not related to Doomsday Clock, which I think most people would suspect if it is being done for a specific storyline, it's going to be done with either Doomsday Clock or the fallout immediately from Doomsday Clock, since that's all about restoring hope and bringing hope back, and that's the difference between the New 52 and Rebirth, is the New 52 universe was lacking hope. Uh, so I did like the way he answered that. I also liked the way he answered your... I, I really enjoyed the answer to his Carol question, which was right in the beginning of the interview, pretty much, in which he said that that's kind of the way he always envisioned ending, ending, the, ending the series, or ending the issue, you know, that, that issue in his mind's eye was always going to end with Hal and, with, uh, Hal and Carol. Uh, no Kyle here. Get out of get out of the way, Kyle. <laughs> You've done enough damage. Um, so yeah. So all right. Well, let's 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 uh, let's do a bit of retrospective in this retrospective. So <sighs> Jeff Johns leaves the book, and uh, and and Venditti comes on the title, and we get right away some Orange Lantern stuff, and then we get the stuff with Noel Ange as a Star Sapphire, and then I think we I think we're in agreement the the first real solid arc here is lights out correct okay so what do we feel we i think we've 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 talked pretty pretty in depth about lights out but let's talk a bit you know getting rid of the the what happens at the end of that you know we've we've kind of run that in the crowd a bit relic if we're going to sit there and talk about you know things that he's added to the mythos one of the biggest things character wise has to be relic so how do we feel about Relic as a character? Where where he was introduced, how he was used, where we're leaving him, kind of kind of where all this stuff lies. Because and, and and we'll get to it later, and maybe we won't talk about it that long. Relic was involved later on before Rebirth started, towards the end of his Green Lantern, I guess we'll call it Robert Vindy's New Fifty Two run, when like the Source Wall was falling apart and Black Hand was involved and all that stuff. So yeah. So how do how do we feel about Relic? I like Relic. I think Relic. I I think there's more. To, there is more that can be done with Relic to make him a more well-rounded character because he's still kind of like as as we discussed not that long ago. I mean, Relic has certainly proven himself to be capable of pivoting to see a bigger threat short term versus what might be a big threat long term, and he's able to pivot and deal with the short term threat. And so even if that means allying yourself with people who you think down the road are a bigger threat, <laughs> ultimately, conceptually, are a bigger threat. I think there's more that could be done with Relic to play up this gal- the Galactus-like aspect of him. But I like – I think I, I was a little surprised that – and again, it, we, maybe it was the way the, I asked the question. <laughs> and we didn't really get – timing-wise, we, we kind of short – changed ourselves maybe a little bit on asking a lot about the beginning of Robert's run 
for different reasons, like you kind of mentioned between Lights Out and Relic. And I had questions about Relic too. But I'd be curious. I mean, Relic is to me Relic, along with the really when you think about moving, as is going back to its entire run, that in a way the the Reservoir and Relic are two of the biggest things that he's done. Uh, along with Hal, you know, obviously forging the, the the ring at a will himself, mm-hmm. I think that's a lasting. But I I like Relic. I think I think Relic is I think right now Relic is probably one of his certainly on the positive side one of his greatest contributions to the Green Lantern mythos. I think I think Relic I would put Relic on that side of the coin or ledger. Yeah, when 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 Relic was introduced, I think it was fair for us to call him the Galactus of the DCU. Uh, in in a way, I mean, he's not you know I'm going to destroy everything, but he is a relic from another universe, the last surviving member of another universe, giant sized, <laughs> and comes back and says and, uh, and and starts destroying something, you know. So, but for, but the, but for the greater good, supposedly. But for exactly. The so 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 relic is more than he initially uh, appeared, and we got a lot out of him. Uh, I think he was used very well. I think I think Relic's story uh, is left to be told. I mean, it, in a way, I feel like if you take all the stuff you've gotten with Relic thus far uh, in any story since his inception, uh, you've got a good, com- a relatively complete story in who that character was. But I think there's more to be done with him. I think there's more that you can take from him. Will he be a hero? Will he be an anti-hero? Will he be a villain? Will he just be a force of nature? What will Relic become? Will Grant Morrison do anything with it? And, and just speaking of Grant Morrison, well, we were talking about uh, Robert Venditti being the guy that follows the guy. If you look at this this whole thing historically – you know, if several years from now someone, you know, has just found our podcast and is listening to old episodes and listens to this one, you got to look back and realize not only was was Venditti the guy that followed the guy, but now Venditti is the guy that's sandwiched between Jeff Johns and Grant Morrison. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, you're, someone in the future is really going to be giving this hard this this era of Green Lantern a hard look because you're following not only are you following the big guy another big guy is following you <laughs> so that's some pressure to be memorized uh in the annals of history but that all that aside relic is uh, is a character that's going to be if used correctly if even used at all in the future is something i'd be excited to see pop up again i agree and i think in a way uh, that's one of my concerns about the Grant Morrison direction is just like when when Robert was talking about how I probably wasn't like I wasn't a huge story goal to make sure Hector Hammond was like unaccounted for, but he also knew he didn't want to throw him like back in jail <laughs> because he thought you know Hector Hammond kind of kind of became like endearing and we kind of that a lot of these things that are left open not just in this issue. and even in this series, but just stuff that he's done before that, a lot of the cosmic things. That he picked up on and ran with, you know, after Jeff, that we know at least based on what we're being told about the Morrison run, at least the in- the inception of it is that a lot of these things are not going to be dealt with. You know, they specifically mentioned no Star Sapphire, which doesn't mean no Carol, just means no Star Sapphire, means no no Hector Hammond. 
So you can pretty much take it to the bank. We're also not going to get any black hand, and we're probably not going to get, you know, relic, and we're not get, so a lot of or lore fleas, and a lot of these. So now, yes, maybe maybe some of this stuff will be addressed, and we still work under the assumption we're going to be getting a second Green Lantern book. It just hasn't been announced yet. We're still working under that assumption. <laughs> but if it doesn't, but if we don't get another book. That you know, if we really end up with only having one book for a while, are they gonna are they are they gonna decide, or they decide right now, we're gonna go with six months of this book. Let's see let's see where we stand in six months. As long as things are looking good in six or seven months down the road, then we'll roll out a second. Then we'll roll out once again a second book. That a lot of these ideas are gonna be left out hanging out there. My God, you go back to the uh, what to the. To the Humphreys run on Green Lanterns, and we got to what the Raid Seed, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was the very ver- first arc of that series. And we have supposed to have the new Red Entity that's growing as we speak inside the Earth. So that's something that probably, who knows when we're going to have that dealt with again. So I, it is interesting to see when some of these, because there really are, when you think about it, they're real. There really are a lot of open-ended things, and, and obviously it's an ongoing series. There's always going to be open-ended things, but there's a lot of things specifically that Robert Venditti has set up, like a domino that he set to fall that he just never followed up on. We have, you know, we, we purposely had the parallax entity being showing back up to go, and now it's, you know, it's it's somewhere else. And we have convergence parallax. Who knows when the hell we're ever going to see convergence parallax again? You know, Robert made it clear he really had no intention of going down that road again, seemingly. Uh, and we got the Indigo Tribe. We have Relic. We have so many things that you know interest you and I certainly that we have no idea when they're gonna come back. Well, I mean, if I was a betting man, and I'm not, <laughs> but if I was a betting man, of those things for Grant Morrison to pick up on, Parallax is maybe one of them, just because of how much Grant loves the multiverse. So a leftover thread from. A, a time that's maybe half erased. I mean, like that's that's sort of like a little sweet blueberry just floating out there in the ether for for Grant Morrison to grab and snack on. It almost seems irresistible, but you know, it's of people to put in a box. It's real hard to put Grant Morrison in a box. Don't put Grant Morrison in a box. <laughs> um, after lights out, we get uprising. And, you know, you and I weren't very fond of that, mostly because of and, – and for anybody listening who's hasn't heard those episodes, for Robert listening, the sheer length of that was, I think, you and I's biggest contention with that. I mean, it was just so very long. Um, I'll, I think even retroactively, when we were wrapping up that arc, one of the positive things we'll, we said about it was the – idea that Robert comes on the title and he has some Orange Lantern stuff happen here, some Star Sapphire stuff happen there, then jumps into this emotional uh, story with the emotional uh, uh, – there you go, the emotional reservoir with lights out. So he's really dipping his toe in, in, in the emotional spectrum here, hardcore. But then his first big arc after that is part of this crossover thing, this uprising, in which the Lanterns as a core are dealing with a threat not emotional spectrum-based, which had basically been what we've been getting for quite a long time. 
So the idea of the lanterns dealing with something that's happening in space with some shapeshifters and so on and so forth, that, for good or for ill, was a good idea because it's it's time to pull us out of this emotional spectrum heavy story arcs that we've been getting for so long and deal with yet a, a different sort of threat in space. Yeah. So that, looking, that looking back on Uprising, how do you feel about Uprising? <clears throat> it's been so long. My God, it's been so long for Uprising. And because I think in a way because it followed, again, following the, the man that followed the man, this was the storyline that followed the big storyline that people were talking about with uh, Lights Out. Uh, my my opinion of Uprising hasn't changed all that much. I uh, I do agree that the the biggest issue with it was it was just too long, and it's much like my as we pointed out before. At least my issue with Godhead was my only issue with Godhead was that it was longer than it needed to be. But I actually thought that was certainly up until the dark the Dark Stars up until Dark Stars Rising and Last Slash Last Charge. I would say Godhead was probably his most successful overall arc when you look at the strong beginning and a strong ending. And and we would be talking about that next anyway, so we can talk about that in the same breath too, because that's right after Uprising. So I think Uprising to me is a weaker a weaker link in the in the Venditti legacy. I would say of, of major arcs. I would say that one still is a. I'd vote still say fail on that one as opposed to personally. Uh, I thought another positive thing about uh, the uprising arc is some time for, I mean it's a pun, but whatever, for uh, people like Goran's son to shine. <laughs> yes, Goran's son. <laughs> he did. He did. That is true. He did kind of come into his own in that arc. For sure. Uh, Godhead. Of course, we talk, we brought it up already, so we can talk about a Godhead. So we got the the new God stuff and what happens with uh, their involvement, and you know the Indigo Tribe is a part of this briefly. It's one of the few times we see them. So uh, I think you you more so than me, but I think we're we, we're sort of in the same boat. When this before anything had even happened, this was this this uh, story arc was announced. <laughs> At the time, you and I were like, we don't give a crap about the new gods, so this story is not going to be very interesting to us. But both of us came out of it being. I would say pleasantly surprised at how much we enjoyed it more than we thought we would, given the involvement of the new gods. Perfectly said. <laughs> Yeah, I I know I ha- I'm not a new I've said this repeatedly and it doesn't and there have been some stories with the new gods I've liked so I'm I'm not a new god hater so much I just really don't using the magical expression you know I could give you know three pounds of monkey crap about the new gods nine times out of ten uh, so the well, the concept behind it was interesting trying to get what the life equation. That was the whole point, mm-hmm. right? That High Father. Even and let's be honest, we we know this new this new this new fifty two uh, rebirth High Father is kind of a dick. He's he's certainly much more of a dick than the than the previous High Father. That the concept behind it was interesting, trying to gather gather all the rings to you know basically connect with the emotional spectrum to use that you know especially basically to try to, because of the power of life, if you will, to get the life equation, all that stuff. It was interesting. 
Again, I think if they made it a little more challenging to get the rings, that would have been better because that seemed seemed like that was going to be the one of the real interesting parts. It seemed like the real it was going to be gathering the rings. Then once they, and then once they got the rings, then people were going to try to stop them before they used the rings. But they got the rings like in like like two issues, <laughs> including the annual, whatever it was, and it just seemed I don't know the build the the middle part of that. The middle part is where it was the only weak link, I think, in, in Godhead. The ending was cool with Black Hand and St. Walker getting his hope back and Relic being brought out of the wall. Everything being brought out of the wall, actually, at the time. <laughs> so it was – yeah, it was it was cool. I, I still think – especially when, yes, we kind of are lowering the bar a tad by saying – legitimately saying what our expectations were. But still, that cannot be – you know, ignored the fact that when you factor in that the expectations going in were so low that it, because of the characters they were using, yeah, it was successful. It absolutely was successful. And then we have, let's just call it the Renegade Hal era, and that's in three parts largely. We have the ramifications of Godhead with the the explosion of the the source wall pieces and chunks going through there. We got Black Hand involved in all that. We have the parallax stuff, and sonar is a part of that. That is true. Then we also have the gray agents in there as well. So, how do we feel about uh, how do we feel about the renegade Hal era of all of this? I think there was a lot of wasted potential there. That's. I think if I'm looking at it. I like the stuff with Black Hand, even though it was fairly predictable how that was going to end, not just because it tied in perfectly with the potential forever evil future. Remember, that was that was big at the time. All, all, everything that happened, certainly in the Green Lantern books, everything that happened in those, in those uh, forever evil one-shots, they were going out of their way to try to make you think was going to happen, even if, even if they gave you curveballs and they didn't all happen the same way. They were really pushing that continuity. Or making you think that continuity was going to fall into place. I like the black hand, black hand stuff. I liked Hal and Relic teaming up. I like that. Obviously, we've gone on, even though it's been a long time now. But so I guess if we could talk about it for a second, the parallax thing was a nice setup. It was a, I, and I have, it's actually one of the things. Well, we didn't really talk. You mentioned parallax. Ironically, I didn't mention parallax to him much at all, other than explaining the. Uh, the lethal, uh, lethal justice concepts that we had, but I had said to him personally that when he that first issue when Parallax first appeared, setting up that arc when he came, you know, when Convergence Parallax was going ended up in Coast City, that that was like literally my quote was glorious because that because that seemed like Parallax, the idea that you know Parallax will bring the dawn and things like that, and the fact that he first shows up and he's ta- and he's dealing with Sinestro Corps members and he's wiping them out left and right. That there was so, there was so much potential there for what they could have done with that arc, and I think we're both in the same page that it was relatively lackluster and unreally parallax-like what we got in issue fifty. But let's say let's say this: the Green Lantern series ends two issues later. So what we said in that interview was an issue can come out, but by the time that issue's out. The Rider is already like six to eight issues ahead oh, yeah. of the game. So the way the way that Parallax stuff ended 
may not have been the way Robert. I mean, we didn't ask, but it, it, but just based on when that series ends, it may not have ended the way Robert himself would have liked. That is true. That is probably probably looking back at the question. That is probably a question we should have made a little higher on our list to ask about how the how rebirth because that was actually on my list about Renegade how how the rebirth era or the coming of rebirth how that was affected his plans for renegade hal in that series so that is true i kind of got the impression he he and again this is just me reading into it i kind of got the impression he wasn't looking he, he really didn't have any desire to go back and revisit parallax but maybe but you're but maybe it was just specific to the question you asked him that he didn't feel the need to throw him into an anniversary issue because he'd already done that once yeah and, and I'll say this for Renegade Hal. Uh, you said wasted potential. Uh, it, it, yes and no. I sort of, uh, I mean, I, I enjoy the stuff that happened with Relic and Black Hand towards the beginning of that. Uh, and one, another positive thing I'll say about that era, got a lot of, a lot more Earth-based stuff than we had before. You know, you, that's uh, that stuff with Parallax happened a lot on Earth. You know, you had Sonar in the mix there. So that was cool to see a Silver Age villain again. Uh, so things like that were really cool. Another thing uh, uh, that I thought was cool about uh, that era of of, uh, of Renegade Hal, and and you know, and this is hindsight twenty twenty, something I, I think I retroactively enjoy. Uh, and I'll say three names: Trapper, Virgo, and Darlene. Oh, Darlene! Come on, you don't really enjoy Darlene, do you? <laughs> Uh, Dar- Darlene slightly less so just because of how how uh, how much attitude and stuff she had uh, a bit more uh, than my liking but at the same time I think Virgo and Trapper themselves serve to not outweigh in such that we didn't notice the stuff we didn't like about Darlene but were you know again in a hindsight 2020 fashion were enjoyable enough to where, you know, I look back more fondly on Virgo and Trapper in that era. They were good supporting characters, not Darlene. Uh, <laughs> but that that's why that would have been interesting to see where where Robert wanted to take that. Where his I mean, But then again we but that obviously ties into the removal of the Green Lantern Corps too, because the whole point of Hal becoming a renegade was really so he was gonna he was gonna be the focal point of all the ever, to prove he was gonna be the means to the end to prove that the, that the just that the Green Lantern Corps should be in charge and they were a good police force to have because they were not they were certainly willing to turn on their own you know somebody else, not turn on their own but they were willing to deal with their own when they felt they crossed a line and they did something that was above the law beyond you know the, the boundaries they were willing to go after that person regardless even if it was the greatest green lantern and former core leader themselves so obviously when thanks to the stuff in the sinestro book uh, and then you know in convergence and everything else too even that that all kind of torpedoed probably a lot of what robert was planning on doing with the renegade Hal thing, so it's so it is it is something certainly worth revisiting somewhere down the road potentially. We get another crack to ask to ask some questions about that. Gotcha. All right, now we uh, jump into Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps as uh, as as a title. Now we don't want to spend too much time 
so what we'll what we'll do is we'll we'll take this in in sort of uh, huge chunks arcs. Oh, or, yeah, or, or several arcs maybe in certain parts of the of the run maybe. Well, I'm I'm specifically talking here about his first 25 issues. Oh, okay. So that big of a chunk. So in his first 25 issues, we have Hal versus the Sinestro Corps. This is when the the Green Lantern Corps re-enters the universe. It happens in here. Then we have Bottled Light, where uh, Larflees and Brainiac trap uh, the two cores together. In that, we also have a, uh, the stuff that happens with Kyle. Uh, some stuff with Saint Walker happens in here, too. Yeah, the Blue Lantern. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we have the Prism of Time as well. This is when Rip Hunter shows up. And then we have the splitting of the Sinestro Corps and the Green Lantern Corps. Fracture. So, yeah, Fracture. So we can talk about any of this stuff within the 25 here. Obviously... To me, obviously, the one the one that stands out the most to me, just and and I did have questions about that that we didn't get to was it's hard to ignore. So, I mean, Sinestro's law because it's I mean it started the book, so it's kind of hard not to deal with it. The there was obviously I mean I still feel there were some questionable decisions about how not just about Sinestro's motives, and it didn't seem like a Sinestro. Sinestro's more of a I mean, he's a schemer, but but he's a little more. I think he's a little more pragmatic than th- than thinking this. That was the exact moment to turn to do a heel turn. You know, if this was wrestling, to do a heel turn and hit the universe with a steel chair from behind. I didn't seem like. I still don't think that makes a lot of sense. They don't address anything that really happened with very little of what happened where the Sinestro Corps was, and I don't mean physically, but I mean this, the place they were in in the universe. Yes, they were still in charge, but I mean. There was a there was a certain there was a whole vibe there that that had been established after dealing with you know the the paling. Obviously, the Saint Walker uh, Arkillo thing was never addressed. Arkillo was in a, almost all the character development Cullen had given Arkillo was kind of stripped away, which is ironic because as we've talked about, Arkillo ends up getting it back pretty much by the end of Robert's run. And I don't know. I just think I didn't think there were a lot of things in that arc that were a little vague. The fear engine. I what how, what Sinestro took from Parallax. I mean, I was I never thought he really killed Parallax, and that turned out to be right. But you know, Hal becoming one with Will, and even though they explained that more later on, I think with the Gauntlet thing too. I thought I thought that it was it was the arc that should have been a little. I think that arc should have been better than it was. It still there were good things in it. There were cool moments in it, but I think that arc. Based on the direction it went in, or they took Sinestro specifically, that kind of bothered me. Right. Um, yeah, I, I'll admit that uh, I, I agree with you on the sort of heel turn that you know, to use your words, the heel turn that Sinestro took uh, in that personality-wise, sort of uh, to to an extent, uh, goal-wise to an extent. Um, I wonder how much of that also was. Uh, just stuff happening behind the scenes with Cullen. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you, you, you listeners know that Cullen had plans for the other t- uh, six issues that he was supposed to get when, uh, the lanterns were in the other universe. And that was going to lead to a, 
a new Sinestro Corps war sort of thing in his mind. So how much of his plans had he already relayed to DC and how much was supposed to be happening? And at what point was Robert informed that Colin wasn't going to be getting the other six issues? And, and what did he take from what Colin had planned or what, uh, you know, how much did Robert already have planned, you know, based on what Colin was going to do? You know what I mean? So it's, uh, it's, you know, there's, there's so much, there's so much in the, in the business decision that was rebirth, uh, to, to think about and consider before, you know, when you take a look at that first arc in Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, what was planned? What, what had to be scrapped? What was a collaboration and what, what, uh, you know, because, there, there, uh, there are things. Uh, some t- this was mentioned uh, in, I think, in uh, a history uh, article or something like that. I read is pe- when people would make suggestions to DC Comics and letter columns back in the day. DC wasn't allowed to do anything with those because it would be a legality issue for them. So, you know, how much of what Cullen and Venditti had collaborated on and already planned could Robert even use, you know, you know, so that's from a legal perspective. So it's just, there's, there's so much, uh, before you even get to the creative aspects, the writing and the art of the actual arc, the stuff that happened in the lead up to rebirth actually being a thing, that's something that would need to be considered. I agree. That's true. Uh, bottled lights, you know. Uh, one thing I enjoyed about that was uh, Larflees. I mean, I've always enjoyed Larflees. Uh, I've said a thousand times that it sort of irks me how basically after his first appearance in that awesome Agent Orange storyline that Jeff did, uh, how much uh, uh, Larflees became a joke. When when he first appeared, you're like, oh shit, the Guardians are scared of this dude. <laughs> you're like, someone wandered into the Vegas system and woke up Larflees. We're screwed now. <laughs> like that was that that was their reaction, you know. And and you know he had the power of an entire core within himself. Uh, and then they made him a punchline after that. So seeing Larflees still be you know sort of funny and and goofy here in this story, but also he captured the core. And he's working with Brainiac. I mean, at its core, at its essence, that's a that's a, a power play. It was a f- I I like that arc. It was good making Larflees a bigger player again. And I and I, to me, I liked how the Sinestro Corps and the Green Lanterns work together. Right. That's what that's what kind of that's what kind of stands out in that arc to me. Looking back at it. Yeah. Uh, you also have in there, of course, uh, Twilight of the Guardians happens in there. Where there's Ganthet and Sade and Somar Lee uh, and all that stuff. Um, you know, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, uh, St. Walker was involved in there. So if you want to talk a bit about that. But uh, Twilight of the Guardians with like the controllers. So. Which is, that's you know, that's that's that's, that's ha- that was later on. Uh, uh-uh, Twilight Twilight of the Guardian starts with like I, I think issue fourteen. Was that fourteen? Uh, no, no, hold on, maybe did I click the wrong button here? I'm sorry. 
Did, which what did I what did I click? I clicked something. Hold on. Uh, the the the. The St. Walker stuff was alright. It was ultimately... It was ultimately disappointing, I thought. Um, but that's... But again, now, as kind of... As if we kind of suspected, it seems like it was almost... It was almost destined to... That was yeah, 30, sorry, you're right. That's 33. Uh, yeah. That it was kind of destined for that... For the Blues not to really be a factor, I think they were. Per- I think personally, they're purposely being held off the plate, either because Jeff wants to do something with them in in Doomsday Clock, or whether because of the the way hope is limited that there's really not they can't be, nothing of relevance can be done with them, and or they have bigger plans for them. Somebody has bigger plans for them once Doomsday Clock wraps up. So it was a little surprising to make to see that. To see Kyle turn white again, uh, I mean turn green again from white. Uh, obviously now, as we we know, that was that was that was beyond. Edi- I mean, you can say it's editorial, but it was obviously higher up. It wasn't Green Lantern editorial. It was DC that made that call. Uh, so that was kind of that was kind of surprising. It did seem like a step back on one level for Kyle, but it's memorable. That arc that arc is memorable. It just kind of for me being a you know, being a huge Sam Walker guy, it is. It kind of is tough to uh, deal with a lot of the stuff that Sam Walker has really kind of got a, really a crappy end of the stick. So it's kind of it's kind of hard to uh, look at it and not feel bad bad for him. At least he was given a role that you know he was while he he was denied. And I said this at the time. I never once actually thought about resurrecting. The, the original Blue Lantern Corps. I never thought about that in the least. Now, yes, in theory, but Kyle as a White Lantern should be able to do that, regardless of whether they bl- are blues or not. He should be able to do it. But I never once thought about that possibility. Which, you know, but once they raise that possibility, that's something that down the road, yeah, I want to see happen because now they put it out there. But at least St. Walker was sent off on a, on a mission to basically to ex- to restart the Blue Lanterns, even if they're going to be all new Blue Lanterns. So I thought that I guess that is a small victory, I suppose. For sure. Um, let's see what else we got here. We uh, the schism between the Sinestro Corps. Uh, then after that, we got the stuff with uh, the fall of the gods. Yeah. We got the stuff with Superman. We got the Twilight of the Guardians. Uh, we got the stuff with Zod. Mm-hmm. And let's see what else we got here. Uh, I guess just the Dark Stars after the after Zod, huh? Yeah. I think my opinion hasn't changed much on Fracture. Fracture was cool, but it should have been it should have been a bigger build up to Fracture. I think mm-hmm. it would have been more believable if it had, if it had taken a little more time to get them from point A to point B, and get Kyle and Sora from point A to point B. Yeah, yeah, all all of that. Because because I felt I, I think one of our complaints about Fra- Fracture was probably that the stuff between Kyle and and Sora didn't seem quite as earned. Yeah, I I think that I think that's true. I think it it was I think it also was a little too. Telegraphed that Kyle was making, you know, making the same mistakes over and over again. You know, being 
not being honest with her, which was his flaw and before. Just like I think it's still a little – while I do get that it kind of fits with the fact that they were t- – that from Tora's, Sora's perspective, they were tethered together, it still seems like she fell back in with Kyle a little too quickly. Just like boom, boom, boom. That she just like, oh, oh immediately. Like as soon as he starts putting on the charm again, boom. I do I did like her turn. There were some cool cool things in her turn, in the fact that she was very you know sinestro like in her bo- in her body posture and things like that. I do think it's somewhat believable that she, because of you know finding out that she basically had a son, let alone having to friggin' do do an autopsy on her own son, I could see that kind of put, put, pushing her over, especially when she was so fed up with Kyle to begin with. Uh, so. I liked Fracture. I just think it should have been more than whatever it was. Was that a, like a four-issue arc? I think it was. Only a, was it I think it might have been only four. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's one that probably deserved at least a six-issue arc. Uh, but. Uh, you know, for the various faults, you can say you know the stuff between. I can say the stuff between Kyle and Sora maybe wouldn't as wasn't as earned, but that's just mostly because I mean you know he. It's it's at the very end of of uh, the quest for hopes arc, which then leads into fracture. That Kyle even enters the picture. So it's it's you know they they have that bit with Rip Hunter, and then fracture happens, and it's just like it, it seemed like a bam bam bam. But you know I'm 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 you know since this is retrospective and, and they say hindsight is twenty twenty, I'm just trying to find all these positive things I really enjoyed about that. A positive thing I really enjoyed about uh, of, of things like Fracture and, and Quest for Hope and all that is, man, the Yellow Lanterns, for, for as much as, as Cullen had the rug pulled out from under, uh, under him, uh, a lot of people feel, I feel, uh, the la- the Yellow Lanterns are involved in, in this run that Venditti has for half his run. Does that include just the Arkillo? Are you just including the cores as a as a major factor themselves? Because I, that's why I was my end. The, the cores is a major factor themselves because when the runs start, when his run on Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps starts, it's Hal versus the Sinestro Corps as the law in the universe, and that takes us all the way through to Fracture, which has you know the split between the two working even as a team. So that's it ends at about 25. So ha- and his run just ended at 50. Uh, so in between, like during the quest for hope, uh, Arkillo and Saint Walker, Arkillo and Guy are having that fight, you know, and stuff like that. So the Yellow Lanterns are involved in, in in some way, shape, or form through a lot of this stuff from issue one of Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps to issue 25. And then if you factor- so half 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 his run, and then you factor in Arkillo's presence towards the end of this book. Even though the rest of the Sinestro Corps isn't, and theoretically, if you want to factor in the stuff with Sinestro and the stuff with uh, Parallax, too, mm-hmm. that um, well, not not so much not that much Sinestro because Sinestro was really in the Superman issue, but Parall, but you know, but still, I mean, there there certainly is a over the the, sha- the shadow of the Sinestro Corps is pretty much in this book all over the place. So. Oh, for sure. Um, and then you know you, 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 it, it sort of feels like uh, maybe Venditti uh, was sort of already know knew around this time that he was leaving because you know right after that you you get the stuff that you get with uh, 
with Zod and the and the controllers and all that other stuff, and then that all leads into Dark Stars. So, yeah, I would ha- you would have to, you would have to suspect based on the way things played out before at the very least, you would have to suspect that. I originally was going to say the Zod arc, but I'd say the, the controller arc. I would say from the time he did the Twilight of the Guardians going forward, at the very least, before he started Twilight of the Guardians, I think you would have to say that he knew that. Because because it's funny, because when you go back and you listen to the way he 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 kind of, when he started answering that my question about when he knew he was going to leave, the way my interpretation was when he first started uh, answering the question was he was making it sound, he was answering it more like as... Along the lines that because the book the book was going to end more than he was going to leave, and then he kind of then he kind of got more then he kind of got more into uh, the reasoning of reasons why it was you know it was time you know it was time for him to move on. But it does make you wonder if they had plans to end that book at fifty to begin with. So if, so if that was the case, then he probably absolutely knew that you know kind of where he wanted to, where he kind of wanted to end up, but. I'd, I'd probably go back at least to the twi- somewhere between Twilight of the Guardians and Zod at the absolute latest. I think he probably realized that uh, that was all she wrote, or going to be all she wrote. And we've you know reviewed those relatively recently, so I, I sort of I sort of feel like uh, there's there's no need to retread that quite as quite as quickly. But let's uh, final thoughts. So I, I just wanted to take us through those arc by arc and see what we could point out. What are our final thoughts? Uh, our honest final thoughts on on uh, Robert Venditti's uh, time on this title. You want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Why don't you go first? All right. So I will never, ever, 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 ever be the sort of person that's going to sit here and you know, just because we get an interview with somebody, uh, you know, suddenly switch my tune about how I feel about uh, their their time on a title. Uh, honestly speaking, were were we su- relatively critical and and uh, 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 no, I can't think of the other words. Why should I just keep saying, uh, <laughs> uh, were we relatively critical during Robert Venditti's run start to finish? I would say, yeah, you know, there were moments there where some arcs were better than the others and we did gave them their due diligence. But I think, uh, I, one of the things I came to realize about, uh, not just Robert Venditti's run on the title or Green Lantern, but even about the show, uh, and ourselves, uh, while he was on this title is, um, Basically, since and this is this is me speaking for me personally, not uh, not Mark. Um, I, I learned that, uh, or I not learned. I, I looked back and realized that I have never read comics without a critical, at least Green Lantern comics, without a critical eye. And by that, I mean when I started reading Green Lanterns, it was the, the Green Lantern title. It was with Final Crisis: Rage of the Red Lanterns. And that was when the Lantern cast started. And I started listening to the Lantern cast right around the time they started. One of their first episodes was Final Crisis, Rage of the Red Lanterns. So, even though I wasn't a part of the show back then, it was part of my process to read the comic and then go listen to a review on it. So I have never experienced these comics without a critical eye of some kind, whether that be me listening to somebody else or me participating in said critique. If I were just reading Robert Venditti's run and not criticizing it, 
I think critiquing uh, it. Crit- critiquing, yes, thank you. <laughs> I, I realized that after I said it. Critiquing. Uh, if, if I was just reading it and not critiquing it, I think I'd enjoy it a lot more. I think there. I think I'd still, of course, not enjoy like you know the idea of an emotional reservoir. But they, the the the, the saying out there that hindsight is twenty twenty is there for a reason. Hindsight being twenty twenty, looking back on the things he did. I think that this interview is a perfect encapsulation of Robert Venditti's time on the book. And why do I say that is because of what he said, him being a young writer and new to a property, new to the company, new to the idea of writing a series monthly like this, uh, and then being thrust in the deep end with a bi-monthly um, or twice a month, however you want to work that wording out, and things changing in editorial. You know, he mentioned himself. You know, I wanted to bring up our interview with Robert, uh, not with Robert, with uh, Ron Mars. When Ron Mars would tell us things like, you know, it's a sandbox and you got to play with the toys, but you got to stay in the sandbox. You know, some some of what Robert said in there echoes that. Um, hindsight being twenty twenty, I think I enjoy. Uh, I have more positive memories of some of the things that Robert did than negative ones. I remember some of the critiques I had, and I remember the things I don't like and the things that I did like. And I think naturally when you're critiquing something, uh, those uh, negative things seem to outweigh the positive. And something actually even I learned about myself over the past year or two is, you know, when I was a kid, I'd get uh, a report card home. And, you know, my parents would yell at me for the one failing grade instead of all the other B's and C's that I was getting. You know, I, 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 I essentially default to the negative. That's that's my pattern. Um, but looking back on it, I can sit here and go, wow, I enjoyed uh, Larflees' appearances. I enjoyed seeing St. Walker. And I know you're more of a Blue Lantern guy, but at least we got to see him, you know, that sort of a thing. Uh, I enjoyed uh, the, the, the strong presence that the, the Yellow Lanterns had. I enjoyed the character of Relic, if not the outcome, <laughs> but the character of Relic. I enjoyed um, the surprise that Godhead was. I mean, was it shocking did it change my opinion of the new gods no but i came away from that going wow that wasn't as bad as i thought it would be and by bad i mean i cared about it more than i thought i would given the fact that the new gods themselves were involved i have no interest in them and then the hal jordan and the green lantern court by all this all this to say what robert says in his interview that he that when he hopes that when someone looks back on his run they see the evolution of him as a writer and the evolution that he went through during his time on that title. My thoughts on Robert Venditti are, are echoing just that. So when he says that, that that's what he hopes, Robert, you achieve that with me. When I look back on your run, yes, I know you're listening to this. You have to, you got you want, you want to hear how this, this, all this came out. I know you do. Um, you hope, when I Chad, look back, you hope. <laughs> yeah, hey, come on, come on, come on. Just, let's think positively. Have some hope. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, when I look back on your run, I freely admit, I admitted to you in the interview, there are things about it, about your run I didn't enjoy. But when I look back on your run, I do see your evolution as a writer. 
And I do see that uh, that process, that evolution, the handling of of various characters. I think Mark, even you and I, uh, more more so even recently, have come around, especially with Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, being pleasantly surprised at how much face time these characters are getting in that title, despite the fact that there's so many of them. And that was our initial concern, that all these characters were going to be in one book and they're not going to get their time in the spotlight. Yet look how much time in the spotlight each of these characters have gotten. So that's very interesting and very well done on that part. Yes. Um, yes. But uh, again, looking back at his time on the title, despite the positives, despite the negatives – if, at, if I come away from it, I do see his evolution as a writer and a creator, and I, and, and I appreciate his evolution. So much so I'm following him over into Hawkman, and I'm loving the crap out of that title. So I don't know, I don't know what I'm saying here. Uh, <laughs> we've, uh, we've been recording a long time, people, so it yeah. makes a little bit of sense. <laughs> yeah. But 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 if, and, and by the by, I don't know what I'm saying here. I don't know how to wrap up my thoughts in one one or two sentences. But he says that he wants people. He hopes people come away from it seeing his evolution, and that does happen for me. And it's something I realized after our interview with him. So uh, yeah, man, I I I, I, I can see that evolution and I can appreciate it. And uh, and I can uh, wish him luck on all the stuff that he's – and sincerely wish him luck. Not in a uh, – we had a, <laughs> an official relationship with DC and we don't want to be too negative sort of way. That's that's not at all what's happening with here. Mark and I will never stifle our opinions just because we have an official capacity to, to maintain or something. Uh, but – in a sincere fashion, I can look at at his run on this on this on with this character in this in this property, and wish him luck on his future endeavors with with Hawkman, which I am already reading, and with um, it's called Six Days, right? Yes. Yeah, and with and with the OG uh, uh, OG and uh, uh, Vertigo Six Days series because I did see that evolution, and I'm excited to see what comes next for him. I think I mean you you pretty much summed it up very well. I think that there's no doubt that he did evolve as a writer. You look at his in the beginning I mean I think in the beginning once Hal and the course started, we I think there was we had a little reservation because not just because we knew all the stuff that had to be thrown into that book which you kind of referenced a few minutes ago, but the fact that there was every reason to by we kind of talked about it that by default we knew there was almost no way that his stories wouldn't be more interesting because look at everything he had to play with that he his hands were a lot more free and less a lot less tied than they were back when he first started doing his run especially when they were a whole when there were what four Green Lantern books still when he was doing his thing when he first started that we knew that it made every sense that in every sense of the word or the concept, he was going to be able to do better, more interesting stories. So I think there was a little bit of wait and see approach. Like we talked about the magic term, you know, you know, you know, just the idea of hitting the, hitting the ground running that he had to do that. He really needed to do that. And then when he did, and then it was like, okay. And for a while, I think maybe, well, we knew the stories were always better. There was a certain, there's a certain time frame in which you're looking at it as like, Okay, well, the story's just better again because he has more to work with, 
or is that only part of it? And has it gotten much better because he's gotten better, and the way he's approaching or constructing stories has gotten better. I think he did get better constructing stories. I think even I think even if you look at the way a lot of his last few arcs wrapped up, there's obviously the Dark Stars arc was probably the best example of that. But even some of the arcs that we didn't think were 100% successful. Like the Zod arc, I don't think we were 100% happy with how that wrapped up, how it kind of seemed a little like filler-like or it could have been shorter. But the, I think we liked the Guardian thing overall. Oh, yeah, I was just so happy to see the Guardians again. Yeah, the Twilight – I mean the Twilight – yeah, besides, yes, the obvious resolution of that missing – of that long outstanding plot point or question. It's like what happened to the, to the Templar Guardians? But she did a good job with, mind you. It took a long time, but at least, yes, at least we got a satisfactory answer to that. But the, the stuff with uh, the the arc, you know, the the arc with Super, with Sinestro and and Parallax and Hector Hammond and all that thing, the interacting with Superman, that was cool. I just think he got better. I think he absolutely got better. I think there are things. I'm still not a fan of the Reservoir, like you said. There are still some things in his first in the first part, especially the first part of his his let's say the first maybe. 13, 14 issues or whatever on uh, in his new 52 book that I really had issues with. I still I kind of I still have issues with the tough love for Saint Walker, but at least he did kind of give a little bit more thought behind why. You know, he thought that was he thought that was important. But it was. I still don't know if I would say the entire run was impressive. I don't know if I if, if that's the word I'd throw out. I hate to use solid, but. You know, solid but unspectacular because I don't think that I think it's better than that. I would say it's probably at least it's solid to very good overall, and I think he did get better. I think I certainly would not have been unhappy if he had continued on this book for a while longer. It makes sense why they would want to change things up anyway. But we talked about that after the new Fifty Two when they were doing Rebirth, how it made sense to do a change. But I'd say I'd say overall, especially when you factor in, which cannot be overlooked, how big a task it was to follow Jeff Johns. Even to, yeah, even, I think I think that's probably the overarching theme of everything we've been saying is even even in the, in the in decline Jeff Johns. Or to be fair, what I really think is the spread too thin Jeff Johns. The mailing it in not by intent but by product quality that that. Which was still pretty good, you know. Even from my perspective, even bad Jeff Johns was still pretty good. I mean, the Third Army was crap. That was crap, and that could have been much better. But and the and Wrath of the First Lantern started strong, ended strong. The middle wasn't much of anything. But still, following Jeff Johns and what he had done for the franchise was tough, and that cannot, you know, you cannot overstate how tough that was and when you consider that and like you mentioned that now Grant Morrison's coming in that it could be over time possibly where the Venditti run will be appreciated more because of of everything it had to deal with and where he was at the time I think there's a chance of that I think it's it, there's a chance that people will appreciate that a little bit more and especially depending on the direction Morrison takes the book and how people react to that maybe for sure. Um, but yeah, just, just echoing that. It, it's just the, the Robert's time on this book, I think 
uh, is probably best summed up if you were to take a look at his Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps stuff. Because, I mean, Mark and I, you know, we I think a lot of our critique and our criticism comes more from the New 52 stuff than the Rebirth stuff. Um, I think that's fair to say. Yes. And, and, and he himself uh, acknowledged that not only was, as you mentioned, the guy who follows the guy, but he's also a newbie. And a newbie not only to uh, this idea of writing a monthly title for a big-name company like DC Comics, but working with such an established property. And he didn't have a ton of Green Lantern experience in the first place. So I think when you look at that stuff uh, and, and you read the, those, uh, those, that beginning of, the beginning of his tenure on the title and come away with a critical eye, there's so much – there's so much editorial decisions. There's so much stuff that you have to consider outside of the product itself uh, that that you have to you have to look at it with that filter. And I'm not saying I, there there are people uh, there in listeners of ours uh, who 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 love this run. Uh, and uh, and I think I think over time you and I have come to enjoy Robert. Slowly, slowly, but surely, more and more as he's gone on. Yeah, I think I, I think I think that's fair to say. It, it absolutely is fair to say. And one and another thing I think that can't be overlooked is besides the fact that he's had to follow Jeff Johns is that don't forget originally he was not supposed to be really in. He was originally he was supposed to be involved in writing Green Lantern and there was Red Lanterns and Green Lantern Corps that were supposed to be that were supposed to be be their own animal as in being. Do you remember his name now? The guy who was supposed to do those books, uh, uh, Justin Jordan. No, he did New Guardians. The guy who supposedly quit because the the guy who quit supposedly because DC was trying to force him to kill Jeff to kill John Stewart, even though most people say that's not entirely what went down. But uh, that guy, he was a guy who was oh, I just a Fialkov. Yes, I was just going to say I had the Fial in my head, and yes. Fialkov was supposed to do Green Lantern Corps and Red Lanterns, and then when he left, all of a sudden, that's when Van Jensen got thanks to Robert got brought on board. But then that also meant Robert had to be basically co-scripting in co uh, in the beginning Green Lantern Corps too. So he so he also had a, that dumped on his plate too, which originally when he signed on, that was really not part of the deal. So I think that also could if 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 for those who who take who look at his run and say he stumbled out of the gate a little bit? Well, he had a lot of gate to get out of. <laughs> so I think when no. we look back at it, that that's why I wanted to mention that because it's real easy to forget about that now because Fialkov never did a book, but he was supposed to be doing two books, and that's and so, and that's what and that's how Soul ended up getting Red Lanterns, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. So which was a big big boon to that book. But so yeah, so I, I just I just wanted to mention that because I thought that was that was relevant because I don't know what kind of huge factor that was. You have to think that that was a that was a problem, especially for the first few months at least. Since so, yeah, I just don't want anyone to come away from this thinking that that uh, yeah, and not only come away from this episode, but come away from our time reviewing these comics is thinking you know. Uh, we loathe Robert Venditti or anything like that. That's not. That's not. And never has been the case. So. Yeah, I don't. I. I'd like to think people are. People are not going to get that. And like you said, we 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 always strive to be fair and balanced when we look at stuff. 
Um, so we don't want it to be where we're not going to backtrack and say, you know, this. Well, backtracking might be the wrong word. Obviously, we could critique something and then we find out more information that we didn't have at the time, and that could change our opinion. It doesn't mean we're in this, that does not necessarily mean you flip flop or you or you're backing off. It just means now you have more information. You have more information to make a better informed opinion about. Kind of like how we talked about the lethal justice thing in the beginning. It didn't make a lot of sense why the dark stars were just out for blood immediately, other than Tomar. Now, it still doesn't make 100% sense why Tomar was able to resist – what seemingly was more – but then again, it's like Atrocitus being in charge of the Red Lanterns in the beginning. He was the only one who still was a little above everybody else. But as the story played out, it made more sense why they were not – why the idea of lethal justice wasn't just lethal justice. It was being taken to another level, and there was an explanation in the story for why that was. they were feeding – they basically were feeding on each other's anger and desire for revenge and feelings of – pain and uh, uh, being treated unfairly and all these all these things that they fed off each other and that's what made them be willing to do shit that they really shouldn't be doing just if your if your desire is just to punish the guilty which is also why in a way tomar killing himself makes sense because of the fact that ultimately they you know they committed murder they committed murder themselves so if you're committing murder even though in the name of justice does that not make you eventually deserving to have Lethal justice distributed and aimed at you too. So I so, but but yeah, um, it was. I think we were fair. I think we tried to be very fair to Robert overall. We I think we we always we always knew he was from the way he treated us. He treated us well. So we so while it didn't change. It didn't mean we were not going to be critical. I think it sometimes it does it it does make you. It makes you step back a second to realize, well, how, and he kind of addressed this too multiple times about again the idea that you suck, is <laughs> <laughs> that you don't want you don't want to be that guy if you can avoid it to be that maybe insensitive or be that ineloquent in what you're trying to express. There's a way to be critical. There's a way to say, well, this is why I don't like this or why it doesn't work for me, but it doesn't mean you have to come out and say this guy absolutely sucks. <laughs> so. Yeah, and we never did feel that way. I don't think. No, I don't. I I don't think so. I. Yeah, I, I definitely don't. Uh. But yeah. But yeah, Robert, you evolved, man. We enjoyed it. Uh, we enjoyed watching you evolve. So, thanks for coming on, and uh, we appreciate uh, we appreciate your time uh, as steward of this property. For good or for ill, we appreciate your time as steward, and uh, thanks for looking out for our guys. Absolutely, and, and hopefully for his sake, and I'll say for our sake too, it, hopefully he will get the chance to revisit some of these characters because obviously they've come to mean a lot to him. So, And he's done, and I think he's got a better grasp of writing all of them as time has gone on, including guys – no, no pun intended. Not just people he's used to working with or writing before, but getting to use Guy and getting to use Kyle. That I think he's come to appreciate all of them, and he's. I think he did better writing all of them. So, kudos. For sure. And um, hey, maybe we'll see him as early as uh, Hawkman, the Hawkman series. Because hey, I mean, he may not be talking about that much about the Thanagarian uh, Hawkman. Uh, but hey, the Thanagarians are a police force in space. Maybe we'll see 
them interact with another police force in space. I was going to ask him that. We ran out of time, but I was going to be like, is it possible we might see uh, some hawks interact with some uh, Green Lanterns? Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you can answer that off air, Robert. If you're if you're listening, uh, shoot us a tweet. How much? How likely is it we'll see some Green Lanterns pop up and interact with some hawks? <laughs> Uh, all right, guys. So uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode. We have reviewed 50. We've spoken with Robert Venditti, and we had a retrospective. Is that enough for you? <laughs> I hope so. Uh, are we taking a week off after this? Or we... <laughs> we might need to. Uh, all right. Uh, let's do the closing real quick. Cause... Yeah, let's do the closing. Uh, Mark, uh, how can people get a hold of us if they want to get a hold of us? Well, we'll be asleep for like five days, so I don't know. <laughs> Lanterncast at gmail.com. That's the easiest way to contact us. Also, 708 Lantern is the voicemail, so that you can let us know what you think there. Website, lanterncast.com. Obviously, that speaks for itself. Go check out our latest episodes, our Ring Cyclopedia episodes. Um, There's going to be another one. I had to read because of our friends on Underworld and Beyond there because they're not taking more orders right now. That kind of all for for a couple of months. That's changed my plan on on, on releasing which video I was going to release. So I want, so I have to backtrack a tad there. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. Like us on like us on Facebook. Use hashtag Geocast to locate us on either of those. And last but not least, iTunes and Stitcher on both. So whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And we don't know what we're doing next time. Maybe it'll be Green Lanterns. Maybe it'll be a break. I, I don't mean, regardless of whether we take a week off, it may be a break from regular issue reviews. But Green Lanterns are clearly will be the next thing we'll be doing issue-wise on regular continuity since it's all we got left for now. <laughs> <laughs> next interview, an exclusive – next episode, an exclusive interview with Ryan, with uh, <laughs> with Zach Shepard. <laughs> oh, God, I'll pass, thanks. Unless he's unless he's bringing Kristen Bell. Oh man, I'm uh, for those for those of you who don't follow me on social media, I'm gonna go see Dax Shepard as you hear this next Friday. He's coming to Austin to record a episode or two of his podcast. Uh, in uh, not inside of you, that's the Michael Rosenbaum's podcast, uh, Armchair Expert, which I'm a big fan of. So just just don't throw your panties on the stage, please. Please. I'm pretty close. I'm, I, I know, I, I, I know. That's why I'm saying it to you. Please. <laughs> Catch! <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> this episode has gone off the rails. We'll talk to you later. For us, this is not going off the rails, but you are correct. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs>